When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we are thrilled for the main event for the night. Thanks so much for being with us. This is going to be a fantastic main event. And so with that, I'm going to hand it over to Amy, who's going to run over the format, as well as get the debaters started. Thanks so much, Amy. The floor is all yours. Thank you so very much, James, and everyone for joining us at DebateCon. The format is going to be 10-minute openings for both sides. A 60-minute dialogue and discussion back and forth, and we'll finish up with 40 minutes of Q&A. With that, I am going to hand it over, I believe, Daniel or Destiny? Daniel. Daniel. Daniel? The floor sure. is all yours. Um, before the timer starts, if I can just, I want to give Destiny a gift. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, hope you like it. It's just a small token of appreciation. Gotcha. Cool. And I, I thought I had 15 minutes to start, if that's okay. Is that okay with you? Yeah, I'll really? Be, I'll be uh, <laughs> the quickest 15 minutes. Okay, go for it. <laughs> Ready to write. Okay. So now I come to my left. So that's why I'm starting left. Thank you to Modern Day Debates for hosting, and thank you to Destiny. I want to start with some disambiguation. In this debate, I'm talking about liberalism as a moral and political philosophy that embraces two core values, individual freedom and equality. This means that liberalism as discussed in academic context is broader than just left-wing politics. A person could be right-wing in an American political context, but still be liberal in the sense that he believes in freedom, equality, democracy, etc. So definitions aside, let me state my problem with liberalism as a moral and political philosophy. The problem with liberalism is that it fundamentally conflicts with human biology and with all traditional cultures and religions, especially Islam. Liberalism deals with this conflict through systematic oppression. Let me explain. Existing studies of human biology and psychology show that these two liberal values of freedom and equality are actually universal, and they're endorsed in all human religious and cultural systems to some extent. This includes Islam. However, in traditional cultures, freedom and equality are not the only important values. There are other values that are important. In these societies, people value specific types of relationships, like marriage, like family, like community, like a relationship with God. Countless studies have established that valuing these relationships is part and parcel of natural human psychology. It's inbuilt. 
The reality is there are certain things that humans naturally crave, that they naturally find moral value in, that they naturally need for their happiness. The problem is that human biology is such that these types of relationships that are valued by human beings, things like marriage, family, community, and religion, these types of relationships include some measure of inequality and some measure of restriction on individual freedom. One big example is marriage. Humans biologically want to pair bond. They want to form these stable, long-term relationships with the opposite sex. So they get married. But marriage is something that results in restrictions on individual freedom. For example, you have certain obligations towards your spouse, which means you sometimes have to sacrifice your personal wants in order to fulfill those obligations. Marriage also involves some measure of sexual exclusivity, which further restricts your freedom. Marriage also entails division of labor because women get pregnant and have to nurse. There's also a type of inequality because you have different duties for male and female. So this type of sex-differentiated pair bonding, which includes these inequalities and lack of freedom, is found in all liberal societies and cultures. Similarly, family life and maintaining relationships with parents, children, grandparents, etc. This is something people naturally value, but again, it requires restrictions on your freedom because you have duties to your parents, to your family members. You have to take care of children when they're young and you have to take care of your parents when they're old. These obligations will often require you to sacrifice your personal autonomy. You also demand respect from your children and they're required to obey you up to a certain age. That all involves some level of inequality. So maintaining family requires these limitations on freedom and equality. Similarly, humans naturally crave community and naturally believe that they're a part of a people. They're in the black community, the Hispanic community, Muslim community, Irish community. And humans naturally don't want their people and the traditions and cultures of their people to be destroyed. But the reality is community also requires certain types of inequality and lack of freedom. People in a given community have duties in order to maintain traditional norms in terms of shared dress, shared language, shared rituals. So that limits individual freedom, and all communities require hierarchies in some form or fashion. Some communities limit intermarriage, some communities require assimilation or limit immigration into their countries. All that involves the maintenance of certain inequalities. Finally, humans, bi humans biologically have a belief in God. This is established in numerous psychological studies across cultures that academics discuss like Paul Bloom, Olivera Petrovich, Aya Noranzian, and others. But again, belief in God leads to a lack of equality because people believe God is above them and that God requires some form of obedience and worship. This involves restrictions on one's personal freedom. People have obligations to pray, to fast, to do rituals. These obligations detract from individual freedom. So we have marriage, family, community, and God, and maintaining these relationships and the social institutions associated with these relationships requires some measure of inequality and some measure of lack of freedom. And that's a big problem for liberalism. And this is exactly why liberalism is hostile to all traditional societies and cultures, but especially Islam. But it gets worse because liberalism doesn't just say freedom and equality are good things. If that's all that liberalism said, that wouldn't be a problem because everyone, including Muslims, agrees that freedom and equality are great things to some extent. 
But what liberalism actually says is that we need to maximize freedom and equality above all else. And if maximizing freedom and equality means the disillusion of other values and traditions, so be it. What is evident is that if you adopt liberalism, this inevitably leads to the gradual elimination of marriage, family, community, and religion in society. Why? Because all of these things involve, for biological reasons, certain limitations on freedom and equality. So liberalism in that sense is hostile to the traditions of every single society in the world. Now, if European liberals had conceded or decided in the 18th and 19th century, look, liberalism is our way of life, we're going to keep it to ourselves and leave the rest of the world alone, that would have been one thing. But that's not the direction they went in. From its very inception, liberalism was intertwined with colonialism and the subjugation of non-European people. One of the best books about this is titled Liberalism, a Counter-History by Italian historian Domenico Lasordo. Also the book Liberalism and Empire by Uday Mehta. What Lasordo and Mehta and many other academics like Edward Said, Franz Fanon, Chandra Mohante, and, so, and on and on, they all document in excruciating detail how European colonialists dominated non-liberal people with the stated goal of bringing them freedom and equality. This was known as the white man's burden or the civilizing mission. The enlightened European man who understands the value of freedom, equality, democracy, etc., has the burden of civilizing the savages across the world. Understanding this civilizing mission helps us to see how brutal government domination and liberalism are perfectly compatible. In fact, liberalism sometimes requires brutal government domination. One of the foremost liberal thinkers and one of the founders of liberalism, John Stuart Mill, expresses this well in his landmark book On Liberty. Mill says, despotism is a legitimate mode of government in dealing with barbarians, provided that the end be their improvement, end quote. In other words, the ends justify the means. Mill also says, quote, there are conditions of society in which a vigorous despotism is in itself the best mode of government for training the people in what is specifically wanting, to render them capable of a higher civilization. So you see, liberalism is such a merciful and loving philosophy. Liberals just want everyone to be happy and live in a utopia or a higher civilization, as Mill puts it. The only problem is the world is full of backwards people who don't understand the importance of maximizing freedom and equality, either because they're religious fanatics, misogynists, child abusers, homophobes, sadistic proponents of capital punishment, sadists who abuse animals with ritual slaughter, etc. In short, the world is full of people who just don't know what's good for them. So it's the job of liberals to be the saviors and bring enlightenment to the world, whether the world wants it or not. The problem is transforming people into liberals is not easy. Turns out most people around the world don't want to abandon their way of life in order to become quote-unquote civilized or developed. So to overcome this resistance, liberals have taken a number of approaches over the past 200 years. There's the hard approach of despotism, as Mill puts it, an outright war, occupation, authoritarian governance, crippling economic sanctions, genocide. Then there's the soft approach of bribes, social engineering, NGOs, reshaping indigenous institutions, media, and so on. Whether it's with the carrot or the stick, liberalism imposes its vision of progress, development, freedom and equality onto the rest of the world, and the rest of the world better fall in line, or else. 
We can talk more deeply about these liberal strategies in the open discussion, but let's focus on authoritarian governance because this is the common thread of liberal oppression of Muslims from the colonial to the neo-colonial period. Liberals like John Stuart Mill and Alexis de Tocqueville immediately recognized that spreading freedom to the world would require a type of imperial rule, a type of military dictatorship, but they believed that the ends justified the means. This is why, as a matter of historical practice, liberalism has always been perfectly consistent with brutal military dictatorship. John Stuart Mill referred it to, uh, to it as despotism, but this is also tied to a very specific legal doctrine known as the state of exception or the state of emergency. During the colonial period, the laws were laid down by the European colonial powers, the British, French, and Dutch. They said, ordinarily, we would give people certain rights, freedoms, and protections. However, these rights don't apply when there's a threat. Whenever a society faces a big threat, like a pandemic, natural disaster, or economic collapse, the state is no longer bound by ordinary liberal laws. What the colonial powers quickly realized is that they're going to face Muslim revolt against the political and legal order they wanted to establish. So in order to respond to the threat of revolt, which is especially pronounced with respect to Muslim populations, they declared a state of emergency. This meant authoritarian rule. This authoritarian rule involved a few specific policies. One is no free speech. You're not allowed to criticize Western liberal governance or liberalism in general. You can be detained without trial on the basis of any suspicion. You can be detained indefinitely. The police and military force can use deadly force against you with no accountability. There's, uh, Destiny said like you have 15 minutes. Um, there's also mass surveillance, informants infiltrate all the mosques, all the madrasas, all Muslim institutions. These colonial policies continued post-independence after World War, World, sorry, World War II. Look at Tunisia, look at Egypt, look at Mali, Algeria, most Muslim countries. They either explicitly have the state of emergency rule on the books or they make it implicit reference to it. One of the things that's characteristic of these colonial and neo-colonial regimes is that there is specific systematic torture and disappearances. This is particularly famous in the Muslim world in the Algeria occupation from 1830 to the 1960s and also Indonesia and so forth. In the US after 9-11 there's been a move towards the state of emergency across the world, mainly because a global state of emergency gives the US government more license for mass surveillance, torture, targeted assassinations, maintaining military occupations, etc. Virtually every country in the world with a sizable Muslim population has adopted the US as countering violent extremism policies over the past 20 years, which, as NYU's Brennan Center notes, exclusively targets religious Muslims. After World War II, there are a large number of Muslim immigrants in the West, so they also start getting targeted with state of emergency legislation. And again, we can talk about CVE programs, the PREVENT programs, which are actively used by governments today to explicitly target Muslims who espouse non-liberal religious beliefs. So sometimes people will say that disappearances, torture, surveillance, restrictions on speech, all these things are not consistent with liberalism. 
But that's not true. If anyone wants to preserve a traditional form of life, they're subject to these measures. And the more they want to preserve it, the more intensely these measures are applied. And so even though all peoples have suffered from this, Muslims have suffered the most. And when Muslims try to raise objections against these problems, what do they get as a response? The response is, oh, that doesn't count as real liberalism. Liberalism doesn't involve dictatorship. But in fact, the standard mode of liberal governance for Muslims dating from the late 18th century all the way to independence and beyond has been uh, the control from liberal elites and authoritarian rule. Now people will say, no, they're not liberal, they're dictatorships because they have this authoritarian, authoritarian rule, but it's not correct. They are still using the same exact liberal colonial legislation to this day. But Muslims cannot convey this because the proponents of liberalism don't recognize certain fundamental facts about human biology. They don't recognize that natural human psychology is not liberal. And the only way to prevent people who have a non-liberal psychology from living according to non-liberal traditions and values is through force, through an authoritarian system that forces them to live according to liberal standards that contradict their natural biologies. This is why liberal, colonial, and post-colonial structures have been used to dominate Muslims, to discriminate against them, and in some cases kill and displace millions of Muslims, whether in Algeria, Indonesia, Mali, or India. When Muslims say anything to raise objection against liberalism, all we get in response is, you're just a bunch of terrorists, you want to oppress women, your prophet is a warlord. Can we have a mature discussion about what liberalism actually is and how it impacts Muslims with reference to actual historical events rather than slogans and stereotypes? The the reality is, to conclude, that liberalism affects us all. It's the dominant moral and political system in the world today. Muslims have been the biggest victims of this system, but you all are victims too, whether you recognize it or not. The good news is many Westerners are waking up. They recognize that they didn't sign up for this world that liberalism has created. The question is, is it too late? And with that, we're going to hand it over to Destiny for his opening statement. There's a lot to respond to there. Um, I think I'd rather just hop into the back and forth. If I do my 10-minute opening statement, could we just do 70 minutes of back and forth? Sounds good. Sounds good. Cool. Okay. Um, I think it'd be interesting to go down some of the points. Some of your arguments are stronger. I notice your strongest arguments aren't really targeting anything to do with liberalism, but rather they're targeting US foreign policy, which I think is totally worthy of critique. Um, but some of the more like fundamental views that you espoused earlier, I think are pretty easy to kind of pick on. So one thing that you keep hinting at a lot that maybe we can center part of the conversation around is when you say that something conflicts with biology, uh, we, ha we have to dig into that a little bit. Do you think that how we live as a society should only be in ways that are biologically aligned? Um, do we attack modern medication? Um, do we attack like modern ways of uh, organizing society? Like, what does that what does that mean? What is your basis by which you say something is biological, therefore something is good? Well, I think that there are certain um, values and relationships that are universal. Um, they are shared by human beings throughout history. Um, we're talking about 15,000 years of human recorded history, but we're also talking about um, longer than that because the psychologists who make these claims about these certain types of relationships and the evolutionary biologists, they're pointing to human beings as a species. And so they will talk about, um, you know, like the biological nature of pair bonding. Like there are certain hormones released in the process of uh, pair bonding, like oxytocin, um, very specific psychological processes that are um, 
biologically rooted and they're all associated with this practice of marriage. And it doesn't matter what culture you're in, what society you're in, modern, pre-modern, prehistoric, those things um, are there biologically. Same with family, you know, this is part of reproduction is part of uh, the human species. So it's, these are things that are not just found in some cultures and not others, they're universal. And this is why I think that they're valuable. Now you can say that they're not valuable. You can say that, you know, I don't think family is valuable, marriage is valuable, community, but um, I think the biological data would disagree with you and people's subjective experiences. So are, you, are we making an argument in favor of like a Muslim society or against a liberal society? Just so I can be clear in terms of your position. Well, the topic of the debate is does liberalism oppress necessarily oppress Muslims. Okay, because so it's interesting we can, we're up 15,000 years of human history. The majority of that, there's not a mention of anything related to do with Islam. Um, evolutionary biologists and psychologists, I don't think are gonna make strong statements about the psychological disposition of people 10,000 years ago. Um, they do. We can make really, they absolutely don't. We can make really basic oh, yeah. statements like um, certain chemicals in our body might work a certain way and there are forms of reproduction that are advantageous to humans. So since our offspring requires so much investment, it's pretty common that you'll have a bonded pair. Um, this has to do with like R series versus K series uh, developmental strategies or reproductive strategies, but not really relevant to this because I don't see how any of that contradicts liberalism. You can have a liberal society that still values marriage and reproduction. Um, none of these things are at ends with one another. No, I explained it in the beginning of my opening why there's a conflict. These relationships um, involve some measure of inequality and again, this is biologically rooted, and some measure of lack of freedom. And I gave a lot of examples in my opening. I can repeat it. Yeah, so. Uh, and, then, and then the fact that these, you mentioned that it doesn't seem to matter, like the biology of it, um, not to liberalism, but in general. I mean, this, these things are well attested by evolutionary biologists and psychologists, evolutionary psychologists, moral psychologists, psychologists of religion. So I mentioned a few um, earlier, we can talk about Joseph Heinrich, Harvard anthropologist, world expert, read his Secret of Our Success, read Weirdest People in the World, which is a massive tome that talks about all of the biological data, citing experiments. So there's different ways to establish these kinds of relationships when it comes to community, marriage, uh, belief in God and family, you can look at um, animal studies because certain animals are claimed to be similar enough to humans where we can po point to a biological basis if, there's a, if it's in some kind of evolutionary antecedent of human beings, then that's strong evidence that's biological for human beings as well. There's childhood studies and there's all kinds of cross-cultural surveys. There's neurological studies that establish this kind of importance of these biological relations that are universal. Okay, so I agree that there are marriage type things where you have two people that are bonded and have a family, but that's a far cry from the uh, constructing an entire civilization from there, is all I was saying originally. Um, Wait, I wanna why? focus on something, um, some, something that you just said. You, you keep pointing back to this elimination of all hierarchies. Um, my understanding of liberalism isn't that we're trying to destroy or eradicate every single hierarchy. Um, you rightfully point out that in every type of relationship, romantic, friendship, business, there's gonna be some sort of inequality. There necessarily is because one party's trying to get something from the other generally, and one party has something they can offer another generally. I don't know why liberalism necessitates the destruction of every single inequality. This sounds like an extreme form of anarchism. I don't understand that. 
where that comes from. So uh, I can read a definition or different definitions of liberalism. Well, no, no, I don't want, I don't need, I, I don't want, wait, how, real quick. Well, I don't want you, I don't want definitions or paragraphs. No, no I can I'm show just, you that. So the, the whole idea within Western democracy is that the only way that people can be ruled over where you have a hierarchy and rulership is that it's with the consent of the governed. So that is implicitly uh, with, uh, has the understanding that all people are equal. We just for administrative purposes in these liberal democracies have to select certain administrators, certain governors, certain rulers, a president, a prime minister. But the prime minister or the president is not really better than everyone else. It's just that everyone has consented to be governed. There's a consent that's given by the population that makes it okay for there to be these kinds of administrative positions. Otherwise, it's intolerable for a, you know, a monarchy or look at the tradition of liberal thinkers who have criticized British monarchy. The whole idea is that the king has this kind of authority and sense of yeah. uh, authority from God that makes him above all other normal people that he rules. And this so, was intolerable to you, the liberal, the yeah, classical so liberals. In, in a government, where you have an elected leader. You're saying that all people are equal under that leader so that I can understand. Are you saying that because people are equal insofar as one vote counts for one person, that means they're necessarily equal in all other ways, thus liberalism by way of a government necessitates the elimination of all hierarchies? Uh, yes, liberalism aims for Free, maximum freedom and maximum equality of all people. That if there liberalism, are practical okay. situations yeah, sure. that will require that will require an administrator or a president. But the only way that that's tolerable, according to the liberal mind, is if the governed has consented to that. What? Otherwise, liberalism would not tolerate any hierarchy. I agree with you that that hierarchies are inevitable because it's biologically rooted in these types of relationships within marriage and family. So I completely agree with you that society cannot get rid of uh, hierarchies. But this is different from the way that liberal thinkers, from the classical to the modern, from John Stuart Mill to John Rawls, have thought about uh, liberalism and equality. If a parent has a daughter and a son, and they say that their love for their children are equal, does that make those two children exactly the same? Uh, it depends on what the parent means by equal. Like Let's assume it's a normal equal. parent that has a great amount of love for both of their children. If they say that I love both my children equally, does that make both of those children exactly the same? They're no, equal in every. Of okay. course not. So I submit to you that obviously, under a liberal government, just because every individual has the ability to vote, that doesn't mean that every person has the ability or needs to be seen as exactly the same. Just because you're equivalent in some ways, so for instance, having the ability to vote, doesn't make you the equivalent in every single other way. The idea that liberalism is pushing for that type of elimination of all hierarchies is absurd. Um, when you say that liberalism is talking about maximizing the ability to be free in society, why is it that every single liberal government in the history of mankind has a system of laws and police officers that have been granted exclusive power by the state to enforce those laws? Wouldn't that be contradictory to the value of every liberal society? No, again, the police, there are these administrative roles. The thing is that liberalism aims for complete equality. And if there could be a way to prevent crime, um, or a way to administer, like administrate a government without actually having people in higher roles of authority, if that could be technologically possible through AI or through robots, then that is a world that the liberal mind would prefer. And that is something, you know, I could tell you, like, look, 
hey, uh, Destiny, why don't we have AI right now that can actually run an entire country. We have different kinds of technologies through surveillance or microchip technologies that can prevent all crime. And uh, we want to plug in everyone into this system and therefore create a perfect system of equality where there are no police, there are no administrators, therefore there's no police brutality, therefore there's no government cor corruption. Are you in favor of this destiny or not? If you're not in favor of it, th that means you're in favor of police brutality. That okay. means you're in favor of corruption of government. So I heard you say that liberalism tries to do two things. Can you tell me if both of these are accurate? And then my next question is gonna be, how are they not contradictory? So I've heard you say that liberalism aims to maximize freedom and to give you complete equality. How, how can both of those things be true? Maximizing freedom means maximizing ability to pursue personal wants in order to increase a person's happiness. And this is biologically defined by the classical liberal thinkers. All liberal thinkers are uh, in this materialist tradition. Um, so it's a utilitarian tradition. You want to maximize people's happiness by increasing their autonomy, their freedom of choice. And you want all people to have equal access to this uh, opportunity to maximize their freedom. So liberalism aims to maximize this, but it's a gradual process, as I mentioned. It depends on different kinds of sociological and technological factors. But there's no conflict, there's no contradiction in freedom and equality. It's in the definition of liberalism. Again, I can quote so you, then I'm not, uh, I'm not, Britannica, not, yeah, Concise not. Oxford Dictionary, they all define liberalism in this way, as <sighs> the political so, and moral philosophy to maximize freedom and equality. The, are, they, are, are they contradictory, like they don't get their own definition? The problem right? is I think that your reading of some of these definitions is, is a bit um, reductive. Um, when you say that liberalism aims to, ma uh, to, to get maximum equality for people in society, in your mind, you seem to say that that equality necessitates the elimination of all hierarchies. That's not what any liberal would say. No liberal would say we need to eliminate all hierarchies. That's an anarchist point of view. And then when you say simultaneously, liberalism seeks to maximize freedoms, meaning the ability to satisfy your personal desires in whatever way you choose, your journey to maximize your personal desires is necessarily going to lead to some inequalities in society. Now, if you want to get into a finer conversation on whether or not liberals would seek to maximize an equality of opportunity versus an equality of outcome, that's fine. But I don't think it's fair to say that from your definition, liberalism wants to make people equal. We can go from there to say liberals want to eliminate the family because there's a hierarchy there and all hierarchies must be eliminated. Or do you believe that liberalism seeks to eliminate all hierarchies? And if that is the case, how can you say that now earlier you tried to hand wave police officers as being administrative people, but that's necessarily some form of hierarchy there. Why is it that every single liberal government starts with a form of hierarchy in the form of elected officials and then people that have an exclusive use of state power and then citizens? I don't understand how you can say there's an elimination of hierarchies there. So liberals recognize that the world currently as it is has many uh, inequalities and there's a lot of lack of freedom that exists. Uh, this can be in terms of gender, this can be in terms of sexual orientation, this can be in terms of different communities with wealth inequality or racial inequality. There can be many types of inequalities that exist within liberal countries, but the liberal wants to constantly and gradually reduce these inequalities in order to maximize freedom. And they explicitly recognize John Stuart Mill recognizes this, Alexis de Tocqueville recognizes this, Jeremy Bentham recognizes this, that technology can be used to reduce these inequalities and in order to 
um, maximize freedom. So in the context of family, you have this uh, problem for the liberal, uh, and many feminists have commented on this. For example, Shilamuth Firestone, she says that, well, it's not really fair that women have to be pregnant because when they get pregnant for nine months, they're in a weakened state and they have to rely on others. This is a state of dependence. This dependence causes inequality because then the women, the woman doesn't have uh, full true freedom to choose what she wants to do in that time. Uh, so we if we could somehow find a technology like an artificial womb where the task or the labor of reproduction could be um, outsourced to, through technology, then that would create a more equal situation between men and women because now women don't have to be saddled with the labor of reproduction. The technology now actually is starting to come into fruition and many feminists and liberals are happy about this because this creates a society where men and women can now be more equal. I mean, that's the extreme example. Any kind of technology, the washing machine, the, you know, the uh, washer and dryer, the uh, stove, all of these technologies make the duties that women have less in terms of cooking or maintaining a household, and that creates equality between the genders and more freedom. So this is something that the liberal thinkers from 200 years ago recognized. In fact, this was their claim to the superiority of the white race and the European race because the European mind can actually create technology according to them. But these savages, these Muslims, these Native Americans, blacks, Chinese, they don't have the mental capacity for technology. This is why we have to have a civilizing mission because we want to gradually, in the future, when there are better technological developments, we can have true, complete equality between all people, complete freedom for all people. I feel like the error of your thinking here just comes from this really weird way of reading what inequality or equality is. Uh, we can reduce certain inequalities that exist between groups of people without necessarily saying that those people are the same. If you want to make the argument that women should have less of a burden during childbirth, I, I think that's probably a good thing that every single person in society would agree with. Even if you're not offloading the birthing process, we still have special medication that women take. You get an epidural when you're having a pregnancy. We have special uh, care both before and after for women having um, children. I think that easing the burden of different people during different stages of life isn't necessarily a bad thing, and it doesn't make those people the same as well. Um, I don't think there's a problem presented to liberals in a family where there's a power differential or where different people in that family have different roles. I think that what a liberal wants, though, is for people to have the opportunity to enter those roles willingly rather than to have them forced upon them by an external religion. So, for instance, if there was a family where the woman was delegated to do all of the housework and the man was delegated to go and work a job to bring home money for the family, as long as both people willingly enter that relationship, I don't think any liberal should have a problem with that type of relationship because both of them are doing it. They're both taking advantage of their liberal freedoms to enter a relationship of their own consent, and then they do that. I think the problem comes from when people see an organization like that and they think that they need to have an external force there from some, say, a religious body saying, the man has to do this and the woman has to do this. I don't think the liberal seeks to eliminate all forms of these relationships that might come from religion. Instead, what they seek to eliminate is the force of those religions that you can only have those types of relationships. So I don't know why you say that. So when I say that liberals are aiming for people to be equal, it doesn't mean that they have to be the same exact in every exact way. So I don't know what you mean by that um, because I'm not claiming that equality means lack of difference. People can be different 
and still be equal according to the liberal conception. Just to be clear, I, I don't think that this is a good project, obviously. I don't think artificial wombs are a good thing. I don't think that this kind of constant advance of technology to maximize freedom and equality is a good thing because it ends up destroying marriage, family, community, and belief in God. And these things are all attested to by countless uh, studies, of uh, peer-reviewed studies and books, some of which I've already mentioned. But um, look, consider this thought experiment, because you think that this is a voluntary system, like liberalism offers people choices, and then they can just decide what they want, how to live their lives. Um, this is not how Muslims have experienced it, because this has not been the case for Muslims, um, whether we're talking about the US or the Western world or the Muslim world. There has been this imposition, colonialism, the global war on terror, all of these draconian policies that have been placed on Muslims. Um, and we can talk about very specific examples of that. But uh, here's a thought experiment for you. So imagine that there is this new technology where people can essentially be brains and vats. And in this brain and vat situation, people will be in constant bliss. Um, basically, it's just your brain, you've lost your body, but it's basically like the matrix, except you're in constant bliss. And the proponents of the, this technology say that um, this is great technology because now if everyone is a brain in a vat, there is no, not going to be any more rape, there's not going to be any more brutality, there's not going to be any more domestic abuse, no more children will be abused because everyone's going to be protected from any kind of violence when they're these brains in vats. And you know, this is actually mandatory. Everyone needs to be a brain in the vat, and that's justified. Why? Because we want to get rid of rape. We want to get rid of torture and crime and brutality, domestic abuse, child abuse, child molestation. And would you say that this is something that you think is a good vision for the future? Like, do you think that, what would you say, would you want uh, to actually be a part of that program? Um, this, gets, this, is, this gets into a really different type of area that I don't think this... No, I think it's very relevant. It's absolutely uh, not relevant. Because this, you get into some very deep epistemic questions well, about existence. Well, it's a simple question. Like, would um, you think that's a no, good no, no, thing No, 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 it's absolutely not. Can no, I appeal real quick for the moderators? Can we do 20 second back and forths? Can you do that? I need somebody to time me. Okay, here's a question that I have, okay? Do you think that hierarchies can exist under liberalism? No, no, you ask, answer my question first. Well, you haven't answered a single question. You don't, don't so want to play my game. I want to be really strict I want to really play your game. So I want to know, do you think a hierarchy can exist under liberalism? I answered that question already. I said that I yes. I need to hear it in 20 seconds or less, not a referral to 15 no, different no, no. authors in the opening statement. No, 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 this is not, this is not a, uh, you know, you're not interrogating me. I asked well, you I a simple question. Well, yeah, it's a debate. We're both interrogating each other, of course. Well, so I want why, to know, so it seems like, my... like you're claiming that a hierarchy cannot exist under liberalism, which I think is absolutely absurd. No, so I did not I claim that. You're strawmanning me. Okay, I might be strawmanning you. That's why I'm giving you an opportunity right now to clarify. In 20 seconds or less, do you believe that hierarchies can exist under liberalism? What do you mean by liberalism? Do you mean actual liberalism or your fantasy liberalism in your head? Liberalism, no how it's of. played out in every history of society where there have been hierarchies. Yeah, I acknowledge that there are hierarchies in liberal society. Okay, so hierarchies, can, do you acknowledge? Mainly between Muslims at the bottom of the hierarchy and liberals at the top. Yeah, that's a hierarchy that has existed throughout Muslim history. So who uh, history. do you think can live in each other's society easier? Liberals in a majority Muslim society or Muslims in a majority liberal society? What do you mean by easier? 
You figure it out. You can figure it out. What, however you Who's going to be means. happier? Who's gonna, the I'm people not asking who's going to be happier. Let's say, no, okay, no, no, well, let's you say. You didn't define easier for me, so I'll have to define it for myself. Okay, sure. We'll say happier. Yeah, Muslim, uh, liberals living in a Muslim society. Do you think everyone they, living think, in a Muslim society is going to be happier? Do you think yeah. LGBTQ people would feel the same? What do you mean by LGBTQ people? Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer people. Do you think they would be happier living in a Muslim society or a liberal society? A Muslim society. Why? Because this is, as I said, Muslim, Islam is preserving marriage family, community, belief in God. These are things that are biologically rooted. LGBT, you know, we can talk about whether that's biologically rooted or not, but the basis for uh, these four things that I mentioned, they're universal. They've been seen so universally. Yes, no, it does, because human beings, there's an objective answer to what makes human beings happier. What makes them psychologically happier so do you think it is correlated to these four relationships. So if they're in a society that preserves these four kinds of relationships and institutions, they're going to be, by definition, happier. Do you think a Muslim society would seek to eliminate LGBTQ people? So Islamic law has um, uh, prohibited same-sex behavior. And also has rules for killing gay people if they're caught by enough witnesses, yeah? Uh, yes, absolutely. I've discussed this many times, mm -hmm. as do other religions, as do all traditional well, I'm not arguing for other religions. I'm arguing in favor of liberalism right no, because now. Because you're trying to present this case of liberalism versus Islam, and I'm trying to reframe it in the proper context well, you're of you're liberalism to... versus all societies, all religions, and all cultures. Okay, we can do that. that because... We can do that as well. But I, do you think that I'm going to defend another religion that would try to kill gay people? Do you think that would be a, an argument that this I would take? This debate is not about you defending Islam. I'm not trying to defend trying Islam, to defend, I'm attacking you right now. You should try to defend so, liberalism when I pointed out that liberalism has these so kinds of am, major so harms. You've had defense, no res, real response to that. I'm absolutely You're just asking these bizarre questions, and you're not answering not, my so, questions. To be clear, I asked, I asked a lot of your, answered so to, a lot of your to questions. To be clear. Let me ask a question. Well, hold on. I haven't asked a single bizarre question. I think my questions you're are very fair. You're interrogating me. You're interrogating me. Can you give me, me an example of one question that I've asked so far that's been bizarre? asking me whether hierarchy can exist in a liberal system okay. after I explained it 10 different times. Do you times? think it might be fair that when you tell me that families can't exist, did you not say that families can't really exist under liberalism? I said that liberalism gradually erodes family over time, and this is a statistical fact is that, that because, has been and is that because of the documented by sociologists, by anthropologists. Read Joseph Heinrich. Is that because, I'm not, I'm not talking to Joseph Heinrich, I'm talking yeah, to you, Yeah, well, okay? I'm, I'm so citing authorities question, that are specialists You're not specialists citing anything, you're giving me a name, I want an argument, okay? So if you read a good argument by, by him, then give me that argument. I don't need you to cite Fa the author. Families are, so eroded, the, families are so, eroded by liberalism. Yes, that answers your question. So, no, that doesn't. The question was, can families <laughs> exist under liberalism yes they do right now we have families don't we great that's good. but okay. unfortunately they have be, they're whittling down from nuclear families to single parent households to people who don't want to even get married people who don't want to even have children that's the reality the statistics if you look at pew polls if you look at the demographics people don't want to get married they don't want families sure. now For that didn't exist in the past this is a uh, directionality to these trends in liberal societies. Sure, but these trends may or may not have existed predating any modern uh, Abrahamic religion we have, or anything that is No, they that do, because they're evolutionary according sure. to evolutionary sure. biologists. Yeah, I'm, just I'm not an evolutionist, but I'm, I'm just, I presume I'm just that saying, you are. I'm just the evolutionary that... biologists are confirming this historic reality. You can dig up the bones and see 
okay? The families in their huts because of some kind of volcano that buried them under it. And you can see the families from thousands and thousands of years ago, prior okay. to prehistory. So we've agreed that families and hierarchies can indeed exist under liberalism. I'm good we agree there. You don't have any disagreements, okay? But that's um, not what liberalism aspires to. Liberalism so, is corrosive to families and marriages <clears throat> and communities. You know how many communities have gone exist, gone extinct due to 200 years of liberal power and colonialism? Okay, so we both agree that hierarchies and families can exist under liberalism. Um, my earlier question, you didn't really answer satisfactorily. Um, I asked earlier, do you think a liberal can live easier in a Muslim society or Muslim can live easier in a liberal society? Now, you seem to say that a liberal could live easier in a Muslim society, but when I test the borders of the more extreme liberal views, it seems like these people wouldn't actually be able to live in a Muslim society. So one of the examples that I gave was a member of the LGBTQ community, which you admitted Muslims would execute given the opportunity to. No, so no, how no. Is it don't misrepresent Islamic law. So uh, Islamic law doesn't say that if two gay men are caught having intercourse with each other with enough witnesses that they can be executed? Yeah, that's different than saying that, okay, whoever is a homosexual, come here so we can execute you. That's not the same thing. Okay, I'll restate that a tad more charitably. So it's not a guarantee that you'll get executed if you're gay. It's just a decent chance if you get caught doing it, right? So how can you say that an LGBTQ person would have an easier time living in a Muslim society than in a liberal society? Okay, so Let's just for the sake of this kind of line of argument that you want to keep repeating. Um, okay, there are these LGBTQ people. Let's say that this is natural, even though all the scientific research has established that there is no natural basis yep. to this from nature. This was recently published. There are, there are gay animals too. Uh, this was recently published that it's it primarily environmental factors. Yes, there's a nature article. Read there's the a nature article that says gay animals don't appear. No, no, this is about finding the genetic basis of homosexuality. I will bet you $25 friendly that there is no nature article that says we've confirmed there is or is not a genetic basis for a sexual orientation. You are, you are yes. absolutely out of, there's no yes. chance. Okay. Well, someone can look it up right now, nature. I don't have it right here in front of me right now, but they established that 30% they can find, they can associate 30 possible genes that might be associated with homosexual this sounds orientation. This 30%. What that means is that 30% who have this mix of genetics, 70, only 30% of those who have this mix of genetics actually express homosexual desire. 70% who have the exact same genetics do not express this. So they determined on the basis of this 30-70% split that it's more of an environmental factor that causes homosexual behavior. And this is very obvious when you look at other studies and when you look at human history. But let's, I'm granting, I'm conceding your entire point. I'm conceding that well, it's biological. Well, you're not. You're caveating a lot of the, the sake, beginning with a poor the sake understanding of, of For biology. the sake of argument, yeah. let's say it's biological. Okay. Well, guess what? Marriage is also something biological. The it's desire not. to pair bond is biological. That is. Uh, the desire to form families is biological. It's associated with hormones like oxytocin. Community is also biological. Check, check the research. Tribalism is uh, part of human nature. And belief in God is also biological. So these are four biological things that are associated with human beings universally, and a Muslim society is far more 
uh, conducive to preserving those things and protecting those things than a liberal society. So a liberal would be, as a matter of fact, much more happy living in a Muslim society as opposed to a Muslim living in a liberal society where his religion is attacked, his belief in God is attacked, his family is attacked, his community is attacked. By, through all kinds of policies, again, we can look at the colonial administration, we can look at uh, different kinds of countering violent extremism initiatives that are applied in 85 okay, so we're, countries we're, okay, around the globe. Before we get sure. 20 seconds, okay. yeah, we're trying to stop the rambling, okay? So, um, <laughs> Muslims can make communities and they can exist in a liberal society insofar as they don't violate the laws of that liberal society. But it seems that it would be much harder for a liberal to live in a more strictly run Muslim society because a lot of the laws of the Muslim society are going to be far more um, personal reaching in terms of dictating how you live your life. To circle all the way back to the gay person that we seem very reluctant to address, it seems to me that that gay person would probably have an easier time in a liberal society than in a Muslim society. And it also seems in general that Muslims can probably live in liberal societies far easier than very liberal people can live in Muslim societies. I don't think that's very controversial to say. I mean, all you say is it seems this, it seems that. I've given you references and a, an argument for why that's not the well, case. Well, if we want to give references, if you know more about the earth, because you probably do. I, I, so I'll ask you honestly, if I were to go to the most extremely liberal countries in the world, like say the United States, could I find thriving Muslim communities there? And then if I were to go to the most extreme Muslim communities in the world, would I find thriving liberal societies there? What do you think would the answer to that well, question? What do you define, you keep defining this or using this term liberal because Muslims can be liberal, Christians can be liberal, and you, don't, you haven't set a standard for what actually achieves happiness. I tried to ask you a question about it, you didn't answer. Um, you haven't defined what liberalism is. You've just questioned my definition. So you're asking these questions that I can't possibly answer. I've explained why a liberal and Muslim society is going to be happier than vice versa. I can talk about the policies within liberal countries against Muslims. I've been talking about how, let's like talk about a historical example, Algeria. Do you think Muslims in Algeria were re really happy when they're under this uh, native code that the French had uh, placed on all Algerians and Africans uh, going all the way to Senegal where you know you had a French administrator who had tried to be sleeping at night but the frogs in the local pond were too loud so Algerians were forced to go and like pat the the surface of the pond to quiet the frogs so they don't make noise for this French administrator who wants to uh, sleep and this is like <laughs> French have you heard of liberté, égalité, fraternité? You know, that's okay, the liberal so doctrine. Is France a liberal country? Because these I'm are the policies to, yeah, so that they put on okay. Muslims. Are Muslims happy in that? Are yet? those Algerians happy in that? Okay, um, yeah, so I'm going to ask the question again because you avoided it. So I'm going to say, do you think that there are more thriving Muslim societies in extremely liberal countries like the United States or we can say France, or we can say England, or we can say any other country you want in the Western world, or do you think that there are more thriving liberal societies and more fundamentalist or extreme Muslim countries? So in these liberal societies, Muslims are under all kinds of restrictions, and the Muslim community is not thriving. The Muslim community is being eroded away, okay, because of these kinds of secular policies. In terms of Muslim societies, Muslims have been uh, able to accommodate many different religion and cultures. This is why Islam is the most 
culturally diverse, ethnically diverse religion because we can accommodate all of these different kinds of cultures and different ways of life and even um, belief systems. And these kinds of cultures have lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years. But if you look at where liberalism has spread, religions have gone extinct. Actual ethnic peoples have gone extinct. Tribes have gone extinct. Languages have gone extinct. This is the actual colonial history that you don't want to confront. I'm bringing, okay, sorry. If you want to ask a question back, because I know you mentioned earlier you had other questions. I mean, he, yeah, he's, he's asking me questions, so if I'm going to- You can ask questions if you want. I, I think that the answer kind of speaks for itself. Um, you don't want to engage with it for obvious reasons, I understand, but if you have uh, questions, I, go for it. No, I, I really want to answer your question, but I thought I did. I don't I think did. you do, because you know the answer, so. No, no, no okay. tell me. You, the all question you, was, you think that so liberals I, I mean, are just LGBT people? Obviously, <laughs> obviously in, a, in a more liberal country, there are other religions that can exist within that liberal country so long as religious freedoms are afforded to people, which seems to be the case in the majority of the Western world. There are places in the United States where there are many different ethnic groups and many different religious groups. If I go to more fundamentalist uh, religious countries uh, that are Islam, I'm probably not going to find that diversity of groups. Um, both Christians and Jewish people have been persecuted across a ton of countries in Northern Africa and the greater Middle Eastern region. The idea, Muslims even fight amongst themselves in some of these countries, um, whether you're talking about a Sunni or Shia divide that exists in Iraq historically, um, or, or whether you're talking about wars that are ha happening in um, Yemen, uh, there, there's all sorts of, of religious conflict and geopolitical conflict that occurs there. The idea that liberals can exist in fundamentalist Muslim societies uh, as easy as easily as Muslims can exist in liberal dominant societies, I, I think is, is pretty self-evident. You can see Look, that Muslims, are, you, can, you can claim that Muslims are under attack in liberal societies, which is probably better than in other societies where, um, where liberals have probably been killed in Muslim societies or other religious groups that have been completely excised because more of the fundamentalist communities are in, intolerant of any other types of liberal communities. What you're saying is so unbelievably outrageous. Like I can't express how outrageous well, part this of is. it was outrageous. What Muslim societies exist in the world today? Where can Muslims actually implement Islamic law today in the world? And can, if they can, can't, in why countries not? countries in Northern Africa or in the Middle East? No, not in Northern Africa, how can, where, where are you allowed to apply Sharia, Islamic law, where? Sh Sharia law can exist in any country, what do you mean? Yeah, it can exist theoretically, yeah, but where does it exist in the world today? In any Muslim community it should exist. No, this is where you're fundamentally mistaken. Your, it's is, not allowed is, to exist because Sharia, of a liberal world what order. Is, what does Sharia law mean to you? When, listen to this example. Well, no, 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 I don't want an example, I want you to tell me. What does Sharia law mean Islamic to you? Islamic law. What does that mean? Islamic law. Okay, you, you I'll came to a debate on I, I'll, Islam I'll, I'll, without I'll knowing you, what Islamic law means? I, I will get, well, maybe you'll correct me then if I'm wrong. So I'll give you my understanding of Sharia law. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong. So a sh Sharia law in a Muslim community might mean that there are a special sect of um, punishments or behaviors that are enforced among that community that exist independent of any sort of national legal system. Do you agree with that? No. Okay, Islamic law requires Islamic law requires a governmental authority for all these punishments that you're talking about regarding gays, regarding like I as a Muslim, according to the strictest interpretation of I'm Sharia law, about these I can't go and just kill someone because I, they're violating so Islamic law. So you're law telling or, me that in, in Islamic communities there is absolutely no form of penance or punishment that can exist that isn't delivered by a government. No, I mean, no, no, no. It Careful. Depends. Criminal punishment? Not talking about just criminal. If, there, there, so like are, if, are you if your child that, disobeys are you, are you, are you allowed are you to come and time out? Is, yeah, that kind of punishment There exists. is no form of religious discipline in Islam that can't be carried out without a government oversight. According to Islam or the reality right now? The reality in, the in Muslim communities across the world. 
the reality in communities, uh, Muslim communities across the world, they are under a liberal system, whether it's a liberal government in charge, like in Egypt with Abdul Fattah Sisi, or Saudi Arabia with Mohammed bin Salman, liberals, or any other Muslim country, you cannot apply Islamic law because you have these liberal dictatorships that prevent that. There is, look at Brunei. Look at the co small country of Brunei in Southeast Asia. I'm not talking Asia. about Brunei. They wanted, I'm about they, the wanted, they wanted to apply Islamic law when it comes to sexual fornication, extramarital affairs, and yes, homosexuality. They got slammed by all liberals all over the world. The U.S. was calling for sanctions. They introduced legislation into Congress to condemn uh, Brunei by guess who, Ilhan Omar, who called the Sharia. In this legislation that was introduced in Congress, Ilhan Omar says that the Sharia is barbaric in order to condemn this small Muslim country that got it into their heads that they could somehow practice Islam. Nowhere in the world is Islam being practiced and Sharia law being practiced because it's not allowed to happen. The liberal order cracks down. So I agree that there are liberal governments that protect fundamental or basic freedoms that your religion might seek to infringe upon. I would consider that a positive. But I do believe that there are forms of Sharia or other types of religious laws, like Catholics, that can be enforced in countries that don't require you to kill people or execute people or do other things. You can excise people from your religious institution, like excommunication in the Catholic Church. There are forms of punishment, such as additional chores for children or for doing certain types of penance in religious communities that you can be forced to do as penalty for things. My understanding is that, much like, like under Christian laws, there can be forms of Sharia law that enforce these types of things. Or there might be other forms of punishment that could come down that don't require you to actually kill somebody. I think oh, I can be concerned with other forms of punishment that don't just happen to do with executions. But if you're going to resist that, you're going to say, well, no, actually, Sharia law is resisted all over the world in liberal societies because we don't let Muslims murder gay people. I guess I'll bite the bullet on that one and say, okay, well, in that case, I'm okay with liberalism as being authoritative over Islam because I like to defend fundamental human rights among other groups of people. So, I mean, I'm sorry to say this, Destiny, but you're reducing uh, Sharia and all of Islam to killing gays. I mean, this is really a reductive attitude, and I don't know if it's because you're ignorant of, the, of Islamic law, but Islamic law encompasses all areas of life. It uh, encompasses theology, it encompasses like um, relationships between your neighbors, your family, your spouse. But this which is of those all, are prohibited so, under liberalism? Yeah, this is what I'm getting to. This is what I'm getting to. In these Muslim countries, like Pakistan is an example, you, a very traditional Muslim country. Now, because of the pressure of liberal uh, human rights in international law, they have introduced all kinds of marriage laws that affect family law within Pakistan. So things like triple divorce, triple talaq, um, things like different inheritance laws, things like... Um, things like ages of the brides for the... Things like ages of rights, yeah, all okay, of yeah. these things, all of these things probably mainly are now being things, imposed. But, so Muslims yeah. cannot practice marrying Muslim, twelve-year-olds. I think that's probably so destiny, okay. Destiny, infringement you're of conceding. You are conceding the debate because the whole debate is about does liberalism oppress Islam and Muslims, and you're conceding the that. Problem, yeah, even right now, you from this table are, you know, you're an armchair oppressor of Muslims. You're like, yeah, we should like get rid of all these Islamic practices. <laughs> yes, we should get rid so, of like yeah, so Islamic. Law. Yeah, so earlier you conceded you the debate. Go ahead. 
Yeah, so earlier, you, so this was just my line of questioning. So you said that Sharia law couldn't exist in a liberal society, and I've had plenty of Muslims come on and talk to me and say that there are plenty of interpretations or forms of Sharia law that can actually exist alongside um, in society. Uh, my understanding is that um, Islam actually dictates at times that it is moral to follow the legislation or laws of a country that you live in. Um, similar to in Christianity when Jesus says, uh, render unto Caesar what is his. That there is some compatibility there with religions and the laws of the country that you live in. Now when I gave that example of Sharia, you said, well no, actually, there are times we want to kill gay people and we're not allowed to. And I said, okay, well hold on. Like, yeah, maybe liberal governments prevent that, but there must be something else. And you're saying, oh, well why are you trying to strawman it into just talking about executing gay people? I don't want to talk about executing gay people. I'm more concerned with the other parts of Sharia that you started to talk about when you got upset when I used your own example. You brought up that Sharia law can dictate things like relationships with neighbors and communities. Well, I'm interested, what parts of that Sharia law are restricted by liberal governments aside from things like child marriages? Yeah, so I mentioned a lot of things other than just killing gays and child marriage. You were just playing into the liberal stereotype that you're not, you're I, not you're I, rambling. I, yeah, no, no, let me tell yeah. you, like, okay. you're just playing into that liberal stereotype that I introduced uh, to the audience that Muslim, Islam is just about terrorism, it's about killing gays, I never it's said about any being misogynistic. This, this is your example. So you've just you've fallen into that caricature. Yeah, there's no problem with me as a Muslim, for example, praying. Like I can go into the hotel room, I can pray, and I'm following Islamic law because the actions of prayer, the ablutions of prayer, these are all is part of Islamic law. Is that prohibited in liberal society? Uh, you're strawmanning me because I never I'm said that liberal society prevents all practice of Islam. So what, what are the good parts of the Sharia law? What, I'm not trying to strawman you, you just have a really hard time answering my questions. So the only reason why I brought up executing gays is because you seem to point to that in terms of what Sharia law would dictate. But now I'm trying to get off of that because you brought up other things that I'm interested in. So what I'm curious about, and maybe you can educate me, and maybe I'd be opposed to it, you said that liberalism is authoritative and that it overrules other parts of Sharia law. And then you brought up vaguely things like relationships or community. Now when I've pushed you a little bit more on it, you mentioned, well, praying is part of Sharia. Praying is part of Islam. Liberals don't prevent you from praying if you're Muslim. In fact, my understanding is in certain workplaces in the United States, you can even get time off to do your five prayer, prayers towards Mecca day or whatever if you want to. That religious freedoms in the United States are usually pretty well respected. And I think we would agree that the United States is a pretty liberal country. So I'm curious, besides child marriages and killing gay people, what are these parts of Sharia law that you think are being prohibited by liberal governments that otherwise shouldn't be. I mentioned them. I mentioned Mention many them again. I'm asking you clearly. Can you just mention them marriage again? practices? So what, Muslims what type of cannot marriage practice? practice Muslims cannot practice family law according to the Sharia in the United States. What what type of family law? Family law like divorce law. You can't get divorced in the United States? What do you mean? According to you can't get divorced according to Islamic requirements. You can get so in the United States, I know that for Catholics, we're allowed to get divorced in a legal sense, but there's an extra religious process called an annulment. And that's something that you can practice in the United States. What part of Islamic marriage law can't be practiced in the United States? So for example, this is some this is a great example that's contrary to liberalism. In Islam, the right to marriage is restricted to the man. And a woman can only seek divorce, but she cannot, you know, just divorce her husband unilaterally. But he can divorce her unilaterally. This is an inequality found in Islamic law that is meant to preserve marriage and create lasting, stable marriages. And this is something that is not allowed in the United States because a woman can divorce her husband. So the divorce rates amongst Muslims have increased exponentially ever since 
uh, compared to Muslims living in the Muslim world where they can, you know, they have this law on the books. Now a liberal will say, that's horrible. You don't have equal rights between men and women. But that's exactly my point. That's the exact kind of inequality that liberalism cannot tolerate. And rather than think, well, maybe there is something to this law. Maybe what you, how you might want to put it is that, see how Muslims are so misogynistic, how Islam is so misogynistic, whereas a Muslim thinks, I just want to preserve my marriage. I just want, marriage is an important part of my life. It makes me happy. My wife is happy. Uh, in general, Muslims are happy. And all traditional societies, because Christians also uh, used to have this kind of distinction between divorce rights, and we just want to preserve our marriages. But that's intolerable to liberals, and we can't practice that in the United States. That's just a, one simple example. Custody so, laws as well, custody laws. What, so focusing on the marriage thing, it sounds to me like if a woman wanted to initiate a divorce, then she probably would, but then she would just be excised from that Muslim community, no? No, 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 there's nothing like that. If you, Why wouldn't a Muslim community excise a woman or kick a woman out of their community if she was the one that initiated a divorce? What does excise mean? Kick out of. No, where, where are you getting this? Well, you're telling me that this is a violation of Sharia. So why would, why would any Muslim community not kick a woman out for violating that? So part of women the law? can seek a divorce, and if the husband agrees, then they can get a divorce. But it would be a violation of a Sharia. Like, it's possible if a woman wants to just leave her family, she We're can do that, but she wouldn't be entitled to any kind of custody. She wouldn't be entitled to any kind of maintenance. So it's like fault divorce. Yeah, rather so you're than bringing no up divorce. an example of like something that you're not allowed to do. But it seems like you could do that, but you could just kick that person out of your community. No, no, but that's something that there's no um, discouragement of that in the in the wider society. But the because the well, laws because make the wider it, society the laws Muslim, make it. But the, in, in a particular Muslim community, you could encourage or discourage that behavior. Or no, no, but in the in the U.S., what she can do is she can the Muslim wife can go to court, and she can take half or more of the guy's wealth. He can take custody. That's all violations of Islamic law. The law is going to, the liberal law is going to assist her in actually violating Islam. Couldn't you enshrine this in a legal clause? Like, couldn't you just get a prenuptial agreement if that's something you feel so strongly about? And then you would have the legal protection for your Muslim marriage? Courts don't respect these prenups because they're fundamentally um, contrary to family law in the U.S. So you can't actually have these kinds of, or it's very easy to get out of the, those kinds of prenups. Because she can claim that, oh, he coerced me or the family like pressured me uh, to sign this prenup. And so it never holds up in court, actually. So if you get legal representation on both sides for a prenuptial agreement, it will hold up. This is how these things are negotiated no. commonly. This is why no. prenuptial agreements exist. If you're telling me that every prenuptial agreement could be challenged or thrown out, then there would be no prenuptial agreements. I'm um, in the Muslim community. So it's different from just a prenuptial agreement uh, in other communities. In the Muslim community, and maybe this is also part of the liberal oppression of Muslims, these kinds of prenuptial agreements do not work. And I am friends with many imams who counsel these types of marriages to prevent that kind of uh, messy breakup. Okay, do you think it's problematic if there are women that are in marriages only because they're not allowed to leave them? Or do you think that's an okay? I think it's okay. I think it's okay to limit certain amounts of freedom for the benefit of these kinds of institutions like marriage. I think it's a disaster when more than 50% of marriages end up in divorce. And usually it's women who initiate breakups, whether it's in marriage or casual relationships. This is something that um, is a terrible situation for people like everyone here in the audience. 
And Muslims too. Muslims in the audience, me, you can not go into a marriage and be confident that this will last. And you might be, you know, as it's called, divorce raped because of feminist laws that are on the books that make it very difficult for men to actually want to get into that situation of marriage. You don't think that it might be hinting that there's some problematic aspect of society if there are certain marriages that women are locked into because they're not allowed to leave? I just answered that. I think it's fine. It's justified to limit certain kinds of autonomy. What if a woman is miserable in a marriage? She just has no option. She has, to... No, no, she has options. So Islamic law, we can talk mm -hmm. about all kinds of details. Yeah, what she are the can options? Seek, she, can div, she can seek what's called a khula. She can seek a khula where... Um, so, so this is assuming that there's no abuse. So in Islamic law, if the husband is abusive, he's not providing for her rights, he is not providing for her maintenance, he is you know, just uh, actually physically harming her, then she is, according to Islamic law, the judge, the Islamic judge, grants her the, what's called a fesh, so that's divorce. Okay, they're separated and he is actually or he is obligated or liable to pay her maintenance. So let's say that she just doesn't like him. There's no abuse, but she just doesn't, you know, is not attracted to him for some reason. Uh, she can seek a divorce as well. And um, the Qadi, the Islamic judge, is going to mediate that and try to make it work out. And like I said, I'm in, I have many friends who are imams and they're involved in this process around the world. Wait, so, so it's a, it's a very good describing, system. How is this so much more different than, than a normal divorce? Because when there's society. no option, when the option is not there, okay, that you can just on a whim say, I'm tired of this, I divorce you, and face no consequences because it's a no-fault divorce, divorce system, then that almost incentivizes people to leave their marriages. And you're constantly blasting images How you of single life being great and just explore your sexuality. You have these websites that will help you cheat and they have like millions of subscribers. Like, okay, this is where on a tangent. So it sounds like then that there are similar processes then. You're telling me that if a woman really wants out of a marriage in Islam, then she can leave the marriage if she's just not happy. Then it does, sounds like we're not really that far away then from a liberal's understanding of marriage then. You, no, we can complain about like societal equal, pressures or something. It's not but. equal right. The, the woman does not have equal right to just pronounce divorce. Let's go to another example. Like Muslims, they have to put their children in many European liberal countries, they have to put their children within public schools. They cannot homeschool and they, there are no Islamic schools. They're all outlawed. So we're talking about countries like Germany, for example. Um, they, Muslims can't raise their own children according to Islam. They have to put their kids. I mean, I, I was just talking to a Muslim mother in Germany. She's like, should I put my kid in the Christian, Christianity elective or the atheism elective? Because those are the only two options in the public school. What should I do? Like, these are, these are the kinds of realities that Muslims are living, not this kind of abstract Wait, stuff that it, you want to talk about. What is it, the atheism elective? What does that mean? It means going over classical liberal thinkers. It means going over Darwinism. It means going over why uh, a secular scientific understanding of the world is uh, the understanding of the world. Okay, I agree. I think that there are some cases in which liberalism supersedes um, some forms of Islamic tradition. It seems like you would still be able to practice some of this at home, but obviously some of this would be inescapable. But most of the inescapable parts, I think, are, are things where I think we've advanced society far along enough that we probably, <laughs> I, I would disagree with a lot of the Muslim tradition here. But no, no, but look, look at France, for example. Uh, Muslims in France have to, like the imams of the mosques, have to sign a loyalty agreement that they um, will prioritize 
French law above Islamic law, not even in practice, but just in their loyalty. So they have to sign this loyalty oath to France. Um, they, there was an imam in France. He just mentioned, like he recited a verse of the Quran, but this was seen as an extreme verse, according to the liberal authorities in France, and he was deported. You have all these kinds of restrictions on Muslims as minorities, and this is just a continuation of colonial policies that have dominated Muslims. I think you, you just you know, conceded that this is something that's happening. Muslims are oppressed. Islam does have to be attenuated within liberal societies. Um, okay. Um, is there, do you have questions for me, or what do you want to... Well, I am curious about that thought experiment, because, um, you know... Would you go for being a brain in the vat if it meant like constant pleasure? Like, or you can think of Brave New World, like Soma, like you take a drug and you just experience constant pleasure through the dopamine that's released through that pharmaceutical. Like, is that something that you think people should do? Um, the, the challenging part about that thought experiment is that you don't know if you're a brain in a vat right now. It's hard to answer a question related to a shift of our entire perspective because any shift of your entire perspective is something you're necessarily not going to be able to be aware of, right? So when you're dreaming, you might not know you're dreaming. When you're awake, you don't technically know if you're awake. We could be in a brain in a vat right now and we not know it. There's no way to prove or disprove that. So it's hard to engage with questions that talk about like fundamentally altering the reality that you're perceiving. So it's like, I mean, we can get into it if you want, but it's a much more difficult question than just a matter of theology or liberalism. Sure. So... Um I'm not talking about like the classical philosophical um, question of are we brains and vats. Just imagine, uh, just forget about the brain in the vat expression. Um, just imagine like there's a kind of pill that you take and you take it and then you experience co just constant bliss and you're just hooked up to, you know, whatever like virtual reality machine, like meta machine, uh, Oculus Rift or whatever, and you just live in this constant state of bliss and experience no pain. Um, and this is mandated. Let's say the government mandates this. Everyone has to be plugged into this. Why? Because we want to reduce the killing of gays or child abuse or uh, domestic violence or rape. And they mandate this. Like, what would you say in, in response? And the government really kicks it up a notch because they're not only mandating it, they are smearing all people who refuse, like the anti-SOMA uh, crowd. Uh, they they uh, tarnish them as being pro-rape and being pro-killing of gays and being pro-marrying you know, 12-year-olds and pro-child rape. What would you say like, to that government policy? Because doesn't that remind you of kind of what you're doing in this debate? No, okay, so I'm going to ramble for a second. Um, so what you're bringing up is a really well-known philosophical thought experiment. Uh, it's called the experience machine. So the question is typically posed as, if somebody could put you in a machine, and then you weren't aware that you were in a machine, but it gave you the perfect blissful reality, would you take it? Technically, if you're logically committed to being a consistent person that's answering questions in a reasonable way, your answer should always be yes, because once you're in the machine, you're not going to be aware that you're in the machine. Now, people intuitively will reject that conclusion because they'll say, well, hold on, I know that it's not real. But the reality is, is that once you're in the machine, you won't know that it's real or not. And right now, you don't know if what you're experiencing is real or not. 
So for instance, if I were to offer you a pill and I were to say, actually, you're already trapped in a liberal society, but I can give you a pill to enter a machine. And what that machine is going to do is it's going to wake you up. Now, it's going to be a society full of misery and war and post-apocalyptic robots running if we're killing everybody, but it will be the real world and you have a chance to build something new. Would you take that pill or not? The problem is you don't know if I'm about to insert you into another dream or if I'm about to wake you up from the experience you're already dreaming about. So there's a lot to think about in terms of this question, but it, it gets into some very heavy like epistemic theories of truth. How do we figure out what is real or not? How do we figure out if our conscious experience is objective and grounded or subjective or not. Um, I, I understand yeah, I your desire to, to I understand your desire to use this question <laughs> to explore uh, liberal versus a uh, theological foundation for the world, but it's a very deep and heavy question. It's hard to just answer <laughs> yes or no. It's not that deep. I it's, will say that if there is a government that Would you say that the that government has done something, is, is the it, government right it, in smearing it, people who refuse to take this uh, option as pro-rape? If the option had to do with enforcing or embracing a society where we respect the civil liberties and values of people that are different than us, I would say that a government can enforce that. But if you're talking about putting people to sleep in a matrix and then doing it that way, I'd say a government probably doesn't have a right to do that. That's too Why? much control of your life. Why? Because it's maximizing people's freedom. There's no more no, no, no. police the government brutality. Doesn't, the government There's no doesn't, more racism. The There's no more homophobia. The government doesn't seek to maximize every individual's freedom. It seeks to protect wait, the freedoms wait, so you're, of you're other people. You're pro them. I never said I was pro-homophobia. Are you pro-rape? Because this is a perfect solution. This is a perfect solution. So, Just like we can dissolve families, so there's no it more it uh, there, parental there, abuse. Things. The best solution to all crime is to nuke every single country on the planet because when no humans are left, no crime is left. No, no, it's an that's, absurd question. No, no, no. That's, that's an absurd question. So if you tell me if you find a way to disable every human being, you can also get rid of crime, sure. But there's going to be trade-offs there that we're not willing to accept. There's plenty of ways that we can ensure ourselves have 100% security, but we're not willing to trade off the freedom that we get for it. For instance, if I were to get strip searched, every Every single time I entered every single building, there'd probably be no shootings inside buildings, but that's not part of our freedom that we're willing to sacrifice in exchange for that level of safety or comfort. Much the same, if there are ways to get rid of homophobia and whatnot in society, we would probably embrace those ways, but not to the point where we say everybody has to go to sleep in the matrix in order to prevent crime. Why not? I want to, this is why I'm trying why to Why not? Because you. you said earlier that a liberal society is one that seeks to maximize your autonomy and freedom, and nothing is less autonomous and more restricting of freedom than the government forcing you in a machine where you lack all autonomy. No, you do. You you can have whatever you want you in this don't. virtual in reality. Virtual reality virtual is not reality. reality. That's why it's virtual no, reality. No, we're imagining future technology. And imagination I'm not is not the same as reality. We're imagining, in this thought experiment, you know what a thought experiment is, right? There is a future technology that will allow you to fully live out your fantasies. And it will be a complete, like, blissful state that you're existing in. But you in. know before entering it that it's not real. The government can't force you to do that. It's the ultimate sacrifice it of your It sounds like you're fetishizing reality. <laughs> Are you not fetishizing reality? Well, a Muslim does care about reality. That's why a Muslim has a principled basis to say, no, this is a terrible thing to do. Even though it maximizes freedom, it maximizes equality. It doesn't maximize freedom. Even though it maximizes freedom and equality, it's still not good. Why? Because there's no more marriage. There's no more belief in God. There's no more uh, family to actually experience and community to actually experience. So a Muslim has a principled basis for saying no. A liberal doesn't. Otherwise saying, well, reality is good, but that contradicts everything that you're saying before. <clears throat>
if I lock somebody in a padded cell and I tell them they can do whatever they want for the rest of their life in that padded cell, I wouldn't say that I've maximized their freedom. That's not the I'd same say that I've maximized that their freedom within the padded cell. If you're talking about locking somebody up inside of a virtual reality machine and you're saying, well, look, you've got maximum freedom, you have maximum freedom insofar as you're restricted to that virtual reality machine. It's not the same so thing. So what is, what is the benefit of freedom? What is the benefit of freedom? In a liberal society, I suppose people would say the benefit of freedom is that we have the right to determine our own destiny, to make our own decisions about what we want to pursue in life, and we shouldn't have external forces that are pushing us towards something that we might not otherwise choose to do on our own. But what is good about that? Well, that gets into a deep question of what, what do we consider goodness? Yeah, what is goodness? I am asking you that. So, on a meta-ethical level, I think a lot of secular thinkers would say that goodness is the stuff that elevates man's experience and decreases man's suffering. What does it mean to elevate? Because it sounds like you're using As very metaphysical are, language. There are some things that seem to appeal to our human nature. So for instance, being free of disease, uh, having good food to eat, having friendships and relationships with people, that these are things that tend to elevate the human experience. They interact with our form in such a way, that they make us feel happier. Okay, so if you care about happiness and you, and you care about human nature, there is an objective answer to what makes people happier and what actually makes them feel good. Um, and again, these are things like belief in God. Okay? Religious people are often uh, shown in studies to be much happier. And this is especially the case when you look at Muslim societies, people in marriages, people who feel like they belong to a community, like this is my community, uh, whether it's an ethnic community or a religious community or whatever, um, people who have a loving marriage, that they feel confident, that they can be happy in their marriage for an extended period of time, have children, be surrounded by loved ones, be surrounded by an extended family. These are all things that objectively make people happy. So we can ask an objective question. What system of life is actually going to be more conducive to these kinds of institutions? Every when we look at the statistics, in Western liberal societies, all of these things are being eroded. Belief in God, that's very clear with secularization. Read Ronald Engelhardt. Look at World Value Survey. So everything that you've mentioned, marriage, community, relationships, all, family, all of these things can and have existed in liberal societies. Whether or not we're having issues related to them right now could be as much the fault of liberalism as it could be of technological advancements or of industrialization or of our siphoning off into cities and rural communities. There are plenty of reasons why we might be experiencing issues today. I don't think we can say that all of it is just because of liberalism. Nothing that you've given me is fundamentally incompatible with liberalism. And all of these things have existed in liberal societies since liberal societies have existed. Well, again, I'm talking about directionality. What is the direction? What are the trends in liberal societies? Globally, we can see this globally. Even, Muslim, some... even Muslim societies, again, they're ruled by liberal elites, and they are liberalizing too, unfortunately. So you can see increasing secularization, loss of marriage, family, community. Technological advancement, you're saying that this could be a cause of these issues there is a lot of research that speaks against that. Uh, and look at China, for example. China has been experiencing this kind of economic growth, 
but they are going the opposite direction of liberal states. They're actually becoming more nationalistic. They're becoming, they're, they're cracking down on feminists. They're trying to uh, strengthen marriages and making it more difficult for people to get out of their marriages. They're becoming less individualistic. So I don't agree that it's inevitable with economic advancement that you will find uh, liberalization or, or you, you will find the dissolution of these kinds of relationships. So we talk about the direction that society is moving, and I think in moving away from religion, I think that some parts of that direction have been positive. So for instance, different types of people are able to live better in society today than they could when we were more uh, strict in our adherence to religious beliefs. So for instance, LGBTQ people. I also think that women have enjoyed a great amount of the expansion of their freedoms in society today versus when we had a more religious society. You keep pointing to the fact that directionally, we seem to be moving more liberal, and you're pointing out that even in Muslim majority areas, that seems to be the case. If that is the case, isn't that a stronger argument that humans have a tendency for more autonomy, for more freedom, to live more liberal lives when you see every single country in the world that trends more and more in this direction, and even Islamic communities aren't able to resist that push? No, it's because of a dominant liberal order. As I mentioned, the example of Brunei, as I mentioned, the colonial system that has left scars, deep scars on the entire Muslim world, and constant economic pressure from the, from the US, from the EU, to maintain a liberal order. And look at the foreign policy from the State Department. There is a major cultural engineering mandate to make sure that the entire world accepts LGBT, accepts women's rights, accepts all of these liberal values. They're imposing it on the entire globe. That's why there is a trend. It's not because people naturally want liberalism. It's because, because it's not, uh, biologically, they're not, uh, uh, aligned with that. They have to be forced by this global order. And women, by the way, are not happier now than they were 50 years ago. You know, we can look at the studies on, on that too. Why did the liberal order become dominant, socially speaking, if evolutionarily or biologically we're all happier in some more religious order? It was imposed. It was imposed by, who? by force, by the colonial powers. But colonial by powers, the liberal powers, the yeah, do, you know the superpowers. These, these, like yeah, the these US. liberal powers that rule through democratic institutions. How, like how how why were they all liberal? Why didn't they choose to stay happier and healthier and more biologically satisfied as religious caliphates or something? Why did they move towards a more secularized uh, form of society? Well, this gets into the Reformation and modernization and the. French Revolution and why did John Stuart Mill and um, Alexis de Tocqueville and Jeremy Bentham and Henry Maine, all of these liberal thinkers, their philosophy is based on materialism and a rejection of religious morality. They ask, why do we have, uh, we reject God because look at how much suffering Christianity has brought through the Reformation Wars and so forth. So we want a better standard for determining how to live our lives. We, we don't look to scripture, obviously. We have to look to rationality and we have to look to science. And when we look to science, all that exists is the human body. The human body experiences pleasure and it experiences pain. So goodness means to maximize pleasure and to reduce pain. They became the utilitarians, which were also the, the liberals. Um, and the entire moral and political philosophy is on this utilitarian basis of maximizing human pleasure, like bodily pleasure. And it is on the basis of that philosophy of rejecting 
uh, religion and accepting this kind of utilita liberal utilitarianism as a higher form of morality that is not connected to religious barbarism and religion holds you back with its traditions and its requirements. It reduces your freedom and equality. Now we have a better system and it was on the basis of this kind of superiority complex, the self-perceived superiority of the European empire that this was forced on the rest of the world. So philosophers don't make laws. Philosophers don't construct countries. Oftentimes philosophers are just locked in academic institutions writing papers at each other, arguing over esoteric points related to uh, meta-epistemology or other obscure philosophical topics. They can write books trying to describe things or their own thoughts, but the idea that the average person is reading Rawls in order to figure out how they want to live their life is just not true. So to ask my question again, without talking about a philosopher, why did the societies themselves liberalize? Why did the societies themselves reject religion in favor of more secular living? Why did all of these societies in these dominant liberal or dominant Western countries move towards liberalization if religious thought and religious institutions and religious organization was better for them? Yeah, so you're, you're projecting a kind of modern notion of philosopher. Um, the liberal thinkers, were actually government officials. Um, John Stuart Mill was a colonial administrator of the British colonial empire in the subcontinent. Alexis de Tocqueville was a government official and he was one of these primary liberal uh, thinkers. Same with Jeremy Bentham. He had a very high position in the British government. Um, John Mill, John Stuart Mill's father, also was very high in the British government. So these, they were philosophers and they were government officials. And the French Revolution, like the, the whole ideals of the revolution, um, are liberal, and that's what got established in the new French Republic. Why were there not revolutions by the people of the time against this order being imposed on them, though, especially in a time period where so many people are going to war with each other and fighting each other? I'm just trying to understand how, if you're telling me that a religious society is so much superior in so many other ways, so I'm trying to figure out if that is the case, how did these liberal societies become so large? And you can't just say, well, they were imposed by other countries because there must have been the first liberal countries. So how did these countries grow so much, become so liberal, if it made all of the people so miserable? Unless you're just telling me that government no, no. officials, for some reason, decided to impose unhappiness and misery on their population for reasons? That's a great question. Let me clarify. Um, so it's not that the liberal order makes people automatically miserable. Actually, liberalism and that time in, in that context led to economic growth and technological power. So it actually brought a lot of benefits to those European societies, and that allowed them to kind of dominate the rest of the world, which kind of snowballed into the situation of extreme inequality that we have today. So my argument is not that liberalism increases misery in and of itself. My argument is that it um, erodes these important relationships that are so critical to human happiness, not in a utilitarian sense of happiness in terms of pleasure, but in a higher sense of human purpose, happiness, and what we are as human beings in this world as creation of God or evolve from monkeys, if that's what you believe, or apes. Uh, so that's, that's the argument that I'm making. Yeah, there's a lot of benefits, but it's like offering a child candy. Like you can give the child candy and the child will experience a lot of pleasure eating that candy. But if that's all he eats, he's going to die. He needs some of the things that are bitter, some of the fruits, some of the vegetables, some of the meats. Uh, and that's what you know, a lot of traditions of the world offer. Islam offers it in the best, most complete way. But that's what's going to be 
the best thing for humanity, not this candy that liberalism offers. And with that, I want to thank both of our interlocutors, Dan to the Q&A, so if you have a question for one or either of our interlocutors, I'm going to ask you to please form a single file line now in the center, and all I ask is that a question ends with a question mark. Okay. So, um, so, so you, you brought up a really great point. Um, so you... Okay, so you basically said that um, a lot of people, like a lot of people in the Islam community tend to be happier than a lot of people in uh, liberal communities, right? And, um, and... That's not exactly what I said. Okay, well, can you... Because Muslims are suffering because of this colonial system, because of the dominant liberal order, and there's extreme wealth gap between Muslims in the world today yeah. and liberal countries. So liberal countries are much happier today because of higher GDP per capita, but it's because of an in global structural inequality that has been created by liberalism. Okay, well, I guess, I guess, well, I mean, I was going to ask a question of destiny anyway, but basically, pretty much, um, so it is true that religious communities do tend to be happier than uh, more secular communities or atheistic communities, and we do know that as uh, countries become more liberal, they also become more atheistic, and so they tend to be less communal, right? How do you think liberalism can, or what do you think liberalism can do to fix that? Because it, because it is important to have a very communal base with people, because we're very tribal. Yeah, I think that when, uh, when we reject religion, uh, I think we're right to get rid of the theology, but I think we're probably wrong to get rid of all the tradition. Uh, okay. There's a lot of good that's wrapped up in religious tradition. So going someplace every week to hang out with people, to get some sort of like moral instruction from somebody. Um, other types of community service or life events, rituals that are associated with um, certain religions. I think that we were very quick to toss out everything when we became more secularized, and there's probably a lot of value in some of those institutions. Well, yeah, so how can, what can liberalism do to fix that, I guess? Or like, do you think there's any possible solution towards that? Or I think that like, we have to get better at instilling um, community, but th there's a couple of really big things that are working against that right now, and I think technology is a really big push in isolating people from each other today. Um, I don't know how you overcome that particular thing, because it's so easy to turn to technological solutions for um, talking to other people versus like going out and actually doing things. So we're getting a lot more, um, I think, atomized is the word. But you think that's a bad thing, right? Atom being atomized? Yes. Uh, so my question is to can can my okay. Uh, so my question is to Daniel. Um, so you acknowledge that Islam is a comprehensive moral doctrine. At least that's the way I would I would uh, interpret this. Um, and doesn't would that mean as such since Islam recognized that it wouldn't be fully fully apparent to um, practice its own practices within different countries under different systems and had prescripts for Muslims to follow in those situations that by definition, it's not necessarily being oppressed as an idea? And I'll just take it up. So, um, yeah, yeah, Muslims, Muslims have, have lived, lived as minorities, minorities uh, in many different, different contexts, contexts, and usually they have been oppressed. 
Um, can Muslims live as minorities under other governments? Yes, that is accommodated within Islamic law. Um, but you know, the ideal is to live under Islamic law with Islamic authority, the caliphate, um, so that entire Islamic system of life can be implemented. The, but the distinction with the modern period is that the colonial powers and the liberal world order has actually gone out of its way to basically snuff out Islam. And there are different approaches to this by different colonial powers. Like some, like the British had a more, you know, just annihilate everything, brute force. The French were maybe more diplomatic in different territories, still involving a lot of killing and genocide, but at least there are some Muslims left alive after that. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my whole message with this debate is does liberalism oppress Islam? There is a clear history of that and that's objectionable and we should be able to talk about that and, and recognize this conflict that exists because it's led to a lot of millions of Muslims dead. I would just say then if we're going to have a discussion on the uh, oppression of liberalism within the Islamic community, why then is the Western community branded as Islamophobes when we wanted to discuss the Islamic oppression within our own communities that have happened centuries ago and continue to today within the ramifications of those cultures that did try to maintain their faith? If you look at the Pontus region of Anatolia, that is a region that was wiped out with the Pontian Greeks from 1914 to 1922. Hundreds of thousands were put on a death march. They were slaughtered. They lost their monasteries. They lost their communities. They lost their faith. These people have been pushed around the globe, Australia, in uh, Europe, in America. Pontus? Yes, Pontian Greeks. We look at Hagia Sophia. Erdogan slapped the Orthodox community by changing it into a mosque again, fully fledged. It was no longer maintaining a balance between those two faiths with respect to one another who both find Hagia Sophia as a uh, religiously important basilica to both. So if we're going to say that, and I do think that we need to have a discussion about the oppression of the Islamic community by colonial powers, at the same time, you cannot negate the Islamic oppression of other communities. And that would be my only rebuttal to that. Because I think a lot of people get branded as Islamophobes for doing that, and that's not right. Yeah, so there has been, uh, Islam doesn't deny war, um, and it doesn't deny that. Hmm? Well, sorry? No, I wouldn't say that Islam is all about war. Islam acknowledges that war is a part of human reality and all humans throughout history have been involved in conquering and displacing. Um, the difference with Islamic practices is that we, there is a code of ethics of how to deal and how to treat the minorities. The what? Are death marches a code of ethics? Where in, in Islam are there death marches? Where in the Quran, can you point out? Can you point out in the Quran where there are death marches that are prescribed or in hadith? Where in the example of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is there, are there death marches? Well, no, the death marches did happen by the Ottoman Empire. So you were discussing colonialists, right? Because we have a lot of questions that need to. Yeah, no, no. And no one can hear you either. 
So if I have no problem, I have no problem condemning Muslims who don't act by the Quran and the example of the Prophet Muhammad I have no problem condemning that. So, but there's a big difference between colonialism, uh, with uh, European colonialism, with genocided Muslims uh, in a systematic way, versus what Islam, Islamic just war theory and jihad. There's a big difference, and we can have a discussion. We can discussion about that. We can we can have a discussion about that in another debate, but. All right, I guess my question's for both of you, because I guess it can apply equally. Um, Are there any aspects or things typically associated with Islam that you think it's maybe a good thing that most Western liberal societies kind of outlaw? Is there anything that comes to mind? Nothing. What about you? Um, I would say uh, killing apostates, uh, killing gay people, probably not good things. Um, Restriction of freedom of women in society, probably not generally a good thing. I don't know what the specific rules are on marrying very, very, very young women, but I'd say that's also probably not a good thing. Um, but I, I mean, like, the more extreme points of view that you take is probably going to depend on the particular set of hadiths you follow. So, I, I mean, I, I can't generalize to all Muslims. But. My question is for Daniel, and it's related to the question you guys discussed about whether liberals would be better off uh, under Sharia or Muslims would be better off under liberalism. Um, if the roles were reversed and we were like standing right now in an Islamic country that is governed by Sharia law, could this debate that you guys are having right now be happening? So there ha- is a history of debating within Muslim societies because there were Muslim minorities. There were Christian minorities, there were Jewish minorities, in some places there were Zoroastrian minorities, some in the subcontinent there were Hindu minorities under the Mughal Empire. So there were debates that happened historically. If you don't have a historical understanding of Islam, and instead you have this caricature that you read from Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins, then you're not going to know about this history. So yes, there's been a long tradition of debate and free inquiry in, the, in Muslim history, but Islam sets certain kinds of rules that I, I'm not apologetic for, certain rules when it comes to blasphemy. We don't want atheists in Muslim societies constantly undermining our religion. Why? Because it's going to destroy their religion. Just like if you had you know, a black community and you, the black community was allowed to have uh, insert, not insurgents, but uh, agent provocateurs, which actually the FBI did do with COINTELPRO. They inserted these black agent provocateurs to constantly undermine the black liberation movement in order to destroy that community because it was contrary to the interests of the American government. That is an anti-community policy in line with liberalism. Muslims don't want that. Muslims don't want our communities to be dissolved because we allow atheists to come and mock our religion, to mock our prophet. We care about community cohesion, and that brings us a lot of happiness that liberalism wants to deny us. On that talking point, too, there are a lot of... There are a lot of other religious groups then that Muslims probably wouldn't tolerate living in their borders as well, right? Like atheists, yeah, or... Or Christians. So there's... No, no, Christians, within the strictest interpretation of Islamic law, Christians are Ahlul Dhimma, which means protected people, along would you, with would, Jews. It, would you not say that in... They, would you not say that it's pretty dangerous for Christians in a lot of Muslim-majority countries in the world? No, it's not dangerous. You don't believe that's no. the case in Muslims Somalia and Afghanistan, Muslims, Iraq, Muslims Syria, have Sudan, been, Iran, Pakistan? Like, no. Okay. No. 
Because look, these, Muslim, these Christians have lived in these Muslim countries for literally 1,200, 1,300 there are places years. In the, there are places where even owning a Bible is like punishable by death. No, no, no. Where? Uh, the Maldives. I've never heard of that. Okay. Because Christians, that's contrary to Islamic law. That's contrary to Islamic law. Christians can practice their religion with, under Islamic law, under the Sharia. This is called uh, is it true that Ahkam the rules and regulations of the protected people. In any of these places, though, were you to convert from Islam to Christianity, you could be killed in any of the places? Correct. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. Not today in any of the places. No, because well, not, by the strictest but, interpretations. Yes, yes. yes. I'm not an apologist. So okay. I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. It's not liberal. But, it, but what a liberal wants to portray it as is the Muslim is bloodthirsty. He just wants to kill people because he can't, he's, um, you know, uh, has an inferiority complex. But the way, the reality is Muslims want to protect their religious community. They want to protect belief in God because these are things that bring so much benefit and happiness and fulfillment to people. Yeah, question for uh, Destiny. I think uh, in the beginning, um, I'm trying to understand, like, do you, do you believe that, um, uh, can I say this, uh, liberalism, um, liberalism is protected from, uh, from a systematic perspective? Is it carried out systematically? Is it protected systematically? Is it implemented systematically? I think liberalism grows pretty organically because there's a lot of tenets of liberalism that just seem to work. Um, okay. So, for instance, even in places that heavily opposed liberalism during, like, the Cold War, it seemed that as these societies moved into kind of like the newer world, post-90s, places like the Russia, the newly formed Russia, um, places like Vietnam, even places like China, the more liberalized their economies got, the more successful they became economically. Systematically, it had to be carried out, right? Well, the, I mean, the no, thing is, is that, like, government was involved. Is that correct? Sure, because but there's an interesting implication. We say, like, systematically carried out, the government was involved. Like, are we saying that the government imposed this against the will of the people, or the government was kind of organically expressing the will of the people? I think, as a whole, how the government functions, that's what I'm referring to. When it comes to liberalism, right, as in terms of how the world views, hey, look, here's liberalism working. Why is it working? It's because there is a system, system in place that's, uh, um, you know, it has, it has its rules and everything in place, and it's working, right? So the government is doing it. So the reason I ask that is because it's important in the sense of how it's affected not just the Muslim world, but the entire world in general. Well, what I mean by that is the freedom that you have enjoyed, that America has enjoyed, particularly most of these first world countries enjoyed, is on the backs of the labor of Native Americans, the extension, the genocide of the Native Americans, the African Americans, and currently the despotic regimes in the Muslim world that give them all these resources at dirt cheap prices so we can enjoy all these benefits. I mean, like, I, 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 I but like imperialism is not unique. But it to is intertwined because. It, but we say that, but, reason, but Muslims ran a slave trade for 1,300 years. It's, it's, it's not fair to say that liberalism is solely the one responsible for. Oh, yeah, go. You can keep on. Yeah, what I'm saying is that the, uh, the way that it's carried out, you know, like it causes inequalities around the world. And I think that's what. Uh, Daniel was trying to express in the Muslim world how that's causing the inequality. Sure, yeah, you know, you live in the society, you, you enjoy all these benefits, but there's a price to pay. 
and that's why there is inequality. But this is how you enjoy liberalism. You you get to enjoy this freedom because of the world, the condition that is that it's in. I mean, do you think the diamond mines in uh, in Tanzania, you know, that these child child slavery, that they work such a cheap uh, extensive labor for for cheap price, so we can enjoy the prices? Or for example, Chiquita Banana Company. You know, I mean, other countries. It absolutely that's, exists. That's but tied to. This is, it's the, tied to any power that is strong enough to invade any other power. We can look at any dominant religious or ethnic group in the history of the world, and the first thing you do when you have a lot of power is you invade and destroy everybody next to you and you take all their shit. That's not unique to liberalism. It's yeah. not unique to Christianity. There are rules built into the um, to, to every religion when it comes to conducting warfare, enslaving other people, and exploiting other nations. Um, uh, Arabic and Muslim communities did it for a long time in history. Christian Christian communities did it for a long time in history. The Islamic world exploited the resources. I'm saying, I'm saying everybody has when given the opportunity to do so. Um, the only difference is, is that right now liberal countries seem to be trying to do something to counteract that, or they seem to be having those conversations. Um, I mean, we can continue to have those conversations, but to pretend that like exploitation or colonialism is unique to liberal countries, I think misses the entire Cold War. I mean, there was a reason why it was called the the the. Um, oh my God, I forget the USSR is like the the United States of the Soviet Union, um, but like there, there, it was it wasn't just one country, right? Everybody is engaged in um, in this sort of imperialism. It happens all the time in South America with left and right leaning uh, countries. It, like it's throughout all of human history, throughout all of European history, there's been an invading forces and everything. Um, I, I just I don't agree that it's unique to liberal countries or liberal ideology. I would disagree, but sure, that's fine, yeah. Yeah, can I just say one quick thing? But My question is the exact same thing, so I'd like you guys to talk about it more. I think it'd be more interesting instead of like one of the questionnaires. I appreciate that. I would just say that the liberal domination, I agree with you, as I mentioned, that these all, all nations have engaged in warfare and slavery and so forth, but the character of liberal domination is different because it erodes these important institutions. Other kinds of domination that has existed has not had that same character. And liberalism, in fact, is going to lead to transhumanism. Like if you've read Yuval Harari, if you read any of these transhumanist philosophers, they talk about how with technology, you can you know, do all kinds of things to change the human body and uh, genetically engineer the human body, create alternative virtual realities, create certain pharmaceuticals to affect human consciousness. And at a certain point, the liberal mentality is going to mandate these kinds of technologies. So why can't we have artificial wombs? Because this is inequality. If women have to get pregnant, this leads to a kind of dependence that's intolerable to liberal equality. Why don't we mandate certain kind of testosterone restriction for men? Because men tend to, it's the testosterone that makes them aggressive, which causes them to commit crimes or rapes or any kind of violence. So let's have mandatory testosterone restriction. We can actually change the DNA or, or whatever. This is going to lead to the extinction of the human race because human beings are going to be this transhumanist new uh, you know, reality that we are headed towards in a, in a very fast and furious way. So we have a question coming in from our modern day debate sponsor of Mike Wellman. He asks for Daniel, women do not seek a divorce if they are happy with their marriage. How would not allowing a woman to seek a divorce if her husband does not agree, lead to a happier, more stable marriage if you are forcing someone to participate against their will. 
There are many reasons that women seek divorce. Sometimes it is justified and Islam ha Islamic law has avenues where they can seek a, a good situation for themselves. But there are also many situations where a woman does not have just cause uh, to ask for a divorce or there's no real reason. She just doesn't feel like being married one day. And, you know, there are so many examples that you can cite just from personal anecdotal experience. I mean, this kind of idea that women are, you know, only do, do things on the basis of careful reason and their own best interests at heart, I think that might be a myth, but I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but. Thank you very much for, for coming. I understand that uh, it's difficult in a way for you as a Muslim to uh, debate topics uh, in the secular or Christian majority country. But um, one of the questions I have is that if I'll, you, you are free here in the United States in a relatively liberal country to try to convert me to your religion. But if I will go in one of the Muslim majority countries, let's say I'm going to Mecca and we'll go together, can I try to convert you to Christianity in Mecca? Or the government there is going to prohibit me to do that. Because it seems that most of your answers to those kind of questions is, you are going to be a Muslim and you are going to be happy to be a Muslim and you got to believe it. Isn't the government forcing you to believe something? That one is, to my opinion, it's one of the greatest achievement of, of Western civilization. I came from Romania, which is a communist, was a communist country, and in the past was dominated by Muslim, I, nobody's looking on either of those two periods with, with forced beliefs as something that was happy. Nobody was really happy over there comparing to what is now in other states. So is it the Muslim regime, regimes forcing you to believe and to f be happy that you believe what you believe? So there's this kind of myth that coercion doesn't exist in liberal societies, but this is completely my, my false. Question. It is your question, because you're, at, you're, you're portraying Islamic societies as coercing Islam, yes, on, and liberal societies are coercing liberalism. You are required to live according to liberal laws. I'm, All laws I'm are... Forced, I'm forced to tolerate you. I agree that they are okay, very so you're oppressive. Forced. They are very oppressive for me to tolerate you. No, okay, so but you're forced. That's, that's not forced. There. I'm sorry. That's not <laughs> you forced. use the word force. So you're coerced I, I, I to abide by. So, I mean, this is the kind of myth. This is the kind of myth that liberals are operating under, that liberal society is just this bastion of you can do whatever you want whenever you want it. But that's not true. First of all, there are laws that restrict your behavior. And what are those laws based on? They're based on liberal sensibilities and a liberal worldview and a liberal understanding of human nature and human interests. Those kinds of beliefs, those kinds of beliefs. Okay, I don't know what this means, but you well, have so I an think imposition like, of liberal... To more, to more favorably phrase this question, so like, you would complain in this country that like, it's a little bit oppressive to Islam that women are allowed to uh, get divorced on a woman's whim. Um, but he's saying it's kind of shitty that in a Muslim-majority country, if I try to convert somebody to Christianity, I will get executed. There seems to be a difference in, in oppression there, is what yeah, he's saying. Yeah, you're just using one little example. You can't raise your children the way that you want to raise them in these liberal countries. How is that not a huge deal? I mean, in the United States, you, you can't can preach your religion. Your if you, you, can, you, if you recite children. verses from your holy book, you are deported. Wait, if hold on, you, wait, what do you mean? 
You can, you can in teach. France, in France, the imam. Okay, I'm not, I can't speak imam. for French, but, but in the United States where we are right now. In, in, in the United States, you can be designated as an extremist according to CVE programs if you have certain non-liberal beliefs and you go on a no-fly okay, list. Okay, hold on, wait, wait, you wait, go, wait. You, have, wait, an, you, you haven't experienced wait. this uh, liberal oppression. That's why it's so easy for you to say. I mean, in the same, you, you have when, experienced okay. it, but not in the same way Muslims yeah. have experienced okay, it. When, so it's so easy for you to hand wave these kinds of things. When you say for reciting certain... Have, have, have your bank accounts been seized because you, you had illiberal views, because you believe certain hadith? Have your bank accounts been seized? Have you been under surveillance? Has the NSA been uh, monitoring your leaders like they've been monitoring, monitoring Muslim leaders, as the Snowden leaks showed? When you say that... Have you, have you been uh, rejected from a, from a flight because you're on a no-fly list and you didn't know why? When you say certain illiberal beliefs, that is a very Weasley way of... of having a whole host of things that that could mean. If somebody no, said that I worship the Prophet Muhammad, God bless him, whatever, okay, and this guy gets put on a no-fly list, that's horrible. If somebody's saying that society is degraded to the point to where we need a holy war to kill all the infidels in the United States, and he's put on a no-fly list, I'm a little warmer to that idea. You, so you have I'm, no so clue what the CVE requirements are. Why are you just talking out of your rear? Because you okay? haven't given the me actual any of beliefs those... that are listed under the C, the FBI documents of what makes a Muslim radical are very clear. Do you live in They're, this area? Yes, I live in Houston. Are you allowed to fly in planes? I am. A lot of my friends okay. aren't. Well. A lot of my friends uh, have secondary screening that they have to go through. A lot of my friends have had their bank or family members have had bank account seized, and they have no—they have absolutely no violent beliefs. Actually, some of them are liberals. They're like Muslim liberals, yet they're being targeted by this dragnet of uh, U.S. countering violent extremism under that was initiated by the Obama administration. But it's a relic of the war on on terror. But I don't want to get. So my question is, you, you had mentioned that in Muslim countries that you need to protect your religion and pre protect your faith because of all of the benefits that stem from it. Are there, I know that, that there's benefits that you talk about, but are there any dangers that you see that are inherent to Islam or things, harm that can be caused that you're concerned about? No, Islam is the religion that uh, was revealed by God as the perfect way to live your life. Uh, the creator of humanity knows best how we should live our lives in, on the macro scale and the micro scale. So Islamic law covers everything from worship, economic practices, criminal law, government, uh, regulation, war. Um, all of these things are covered by Islamic law. It's guidance from the creator of humanity who sent his final messenger, Muhammad, peace be upon him, to serve as a, a guide and a model. And that's why Muslims... Um, mirror his practice uh, in their own lives, and they institute these kinds of practices and institutions in their societies. So, so ju just to clarify, so if, if a Muslim does something that's harmful, that's not caused by their religion? Mo Muslims can cause harm, yeah. Like, but if they cause harm, it's, it's not a direct result of the religion. The religion isn't the source or cause of it. Yes. Well, wait, wait, harm, wait, wait, harm, hold on, hold on. I, I want to be completely honest and clear. So there could be something that causes harm. So if I'm a father and I have a duty, according to Islamic law, to provide for my wife and kids, 
And if I don't do this duty, then that makes me sinful. And that means I have to wake up every day at the crack of dawn and go and, you know, dig ditches until dusk. That's going to cause a lot of harm to my body, uh, but I will do it because I love my family. I love my wife. I love God. I love being a uh, servant of God and making an honest living. That causes me bodily harm, but there's a greater value uh, with marriage, with family, with uh, being a servant of God, having a purpose in life in that vein. So yes, there's physical harm because we're not utilitarians. Uh, sometimes you have to do things that are not pleasurable, but it's always for this higher purpose. So Daniel, I'm curious, because uh, if you've said anything about this in the debate, I missed it. As, is there a reason why you think people who are not Muslims should think that it's wrong to oppress Muslims? In other words, is it just that they should realize that Islam is true and that therefore, you know, they, therefore they shouldn't do it because of that? Or is there some sort of general thing that people should be able to see, even if they're not Muslims, that like oppression is bad, therefore no fly lists are bad? And if it's the second one, I'm really curious about how you're going to cash that out without endorsing some kind of pluralism that I would guess you would think of as liberalism. Islam does endorse pluralism. It's just a limited form of pluralism. And it's much more tolerant of diversity than liberal. Islam is more tolerant of diversity than liberalism. And I- it's more tolerant of diversity than yes, liberalism. Yes, because li don't think about power. The way that liberals think about power is that a government pu pu puts restrictions that limits your individual liberty. That's one way to think about power. There's another way to think about power. Uh, it was probably best expressed by Michel Foucault, the French philosopher. He said that another way to uh, demonstrate power, a government can reconstitute your psychology, reconstitute your subjectivity through conditioning, through programming, through education, so that you think and believe in a way that's most conformant and most beneficial to the interests of the power. This is another way that you can, you can express power. And so what liberals in this audience, all of us are victims of this kind of reconstitution of our psychologies, where we have become these, this liberal psychology. And if you go back to the author that I keep mentioning, um, Joseph Heinrich at Harvard, he has this book, The Weirdest People in the World. He uses the word weird. What does weird mean? It's not his term. It's an acronym for Western Educated Industrialized Rich and Democratic. And what the psychologists have realized is that the Western Educated Industrialized Rich Democratic psychology is uh, very different than the psychologies of the majority of people around the world. And so weird people, liberal people, think in ways that actually most people find completely befuddling, uh, including Muslims. So, uh, so your question was... Sorry. Okay, okay, okay. Let, let, me, let, me re let me really quickly rephrase the original question. Yeah. Uh, do you think... That there's, you know, because you, you listed off all these very plausible examples of things that uh, Western governments have done that are oppressive to Muslims. Some of them I even agree are bad. Uh, but do you think there's a reason that as a non-Muslim, I should think these, bad, these are bad other than that I should be a Muslim? I don't know, but I try, my whole argument wasn't like these things are bad because Islam says so. I tried to ground my entire argument in things that everyone here or most people should value, marriage, family, community, and 
belief in God, fine. Maybe some people don't believe in that. Have all of that without Islam, right? I mean, we could just we could just make everybody be a traditionalist Christian. And we could have all of those yeah, values. Yeah. So this debate wasn't a debate between Islam versus the world. It was Islam versus liberalism, or you know, that was the, these are the two contenders. We can talk about other systems. Sure. I'm, I'm just very curious if there's a reason why you think that it would be wrong to oppress Muslims other than just that Islam is true. You mean, is it wrong to subject Muslims to this kind of liberal system? I mean, like the no-fly list, the surveillance, all the things that you brought up that all, you said. All liberal policies are wrong okay. because right. of the contradiction right. to marriage, right. family, community, and God that are biologically rooted in human nature. That's why it's bad. That's the argument I made to appeal to people who are not Muslim. Okay. But you could have all those values without already what is it, here, so here's a question. What is a unique thing you get from Islam that you couldn't get from Christianity? That's what he's, so you're, you're saying that like things like family, community, all no. of that. You can look at the comparative statistics when it comes to like extramarital affairs, when it comes to average family size, when it comes to fertility rate, when it comes to um, actually uh, practicing the religious values, and Muslims consistently score higher than Christians in the Isn't current Isn't that just day. because there are more Muslim fundamentalist countries than Christian fundamentalist countries? For instance, like, wouldn't well, a Muslim in the United States be more likely to be living a liberal lifestyle like a Christian in the United States versus a Muslim in a more Muslim-majority fundamentalist place? Well, all, all you're saying is that the fundamentalists, they're just abiding by their religious dictates uh, more strictly so that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Muslims yeah, but I'm saying like more... in a fundamentalist Christian country, it seems like we would get all the good things you're professing seem to only come from Islam. But they don't exist. That's the thing. These Christians have all liberalized. You know, that's the, that's the problem. You well, have but, some Christi- might, but some might say maybe that's, well, okay. I mean, that's, 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 there are reasons why Christianity is more conducive to liberalization and, and Jewish communities as well. They're more conducive to it for theological reasons that we can discuss. Islam is more compelling and coherent of a theology for well, one. Well, it's compelling because if you convert away from it, you're executed. No, <laughs> that's, all, that's a, only a problem and, for liberals. You, Christians have that law on the books too. That if you Christians can, have killed heretics too. No, no, heretics are, have killed are the versus ought, of, like need to kill if somebody, as I've never heard in Catholicism that we're supposed to, ex, I know you can excommunicate people, but I don't know about execute people. Yeah, you can. Byzantine Empire, her, heretics, you're ex, yeah, a we're lot of heretics are executed. More questions. These are the last two questions we can all right, this is uh, for Destiny. So the title of the debate, does, does, this, does liberalism require domination of Islam, was the title of the debate. From what I understood from what you said, you can clarify, obviously, is that basically if there's things like LGBTQ are being persecuted in a Muslim country or I don't know what else you mentioned, child marriages or something, you're basically like, well, okay, in that case, yeah. So to what extent when we have, like, let's say Afghanistan, let's do a charitable reading and say the majority of people don't want LGBTQ there, right? Um, right now they're freezing, let's say, $9.5 billion in assets, plunging the whole country into starvation. You know, we've seen this time and time again, economic sanctions, military intervention and whatnot. So, you know, to what extent are you willing to go to basically enforce you know, dominate Islam with liberal values. I mean, it seems to be the case that religious institutions can exist within liberal societies and adapt their values accordingly. I mean, it's happened with Christian communities in the United States. It's happened with Muslim communities in the United States. Um, if you're going to talk about, like, country to country, um, I think that question gets a little bit more complicated so than just... I mean, what extent do you, do you support military interventions? Just... 
Uh, military if interventions it, to support basic human rights around the world. Um, I would be more concerned with making sure like 11-year-old girls aren't getting raped than respecting the religious freedoms of certain countries, yes. Or if we talk about like certain people oppressing or genociding entire groups of people over respecting some religious tradition in a country, I think it's okay to like be on the side of those values. I don't know if that necessarily is a liberal, unique identity or if there are other types of societies that would support other types of human rights as well. To what extent though? I mean, say, well, I mean it, it's going to Would I support military intervention for people that disagree with their values? Probably not, but some form of sanctions. I mean, I think a country has a right to determine who they want to trade with. But I sanctions think. that kill if your, if, I mean, if your country thinks it's more important to have sex with 11-year-old girls than to get food or economic prosperity for its people, I mean, that's on your country to decide. I don't think. Then what? Then bomb them until they comply. Bombing them is not the same as sanctioning. If you want to talk about Starving sanctions, what? Starving. Starving. I mean, if if you would rather have. Sure. Yeah, well, exactly. Yes, I would absolutely be in favor of that. If, that's, if, that, if those are the values that you support as a country. Well, just to respond to that, well, that that's obviously coercion. You're co they yeah, have we, non, I think we they should have be coercive to values. other countries to respect fundamental human rights. I do agree with the that, The human yes. rights regime is a liberal regime. If, if, if it's liberal to not want children to be forced into sex slave marriages or to not have certain what people... What sex slave children, marriages? What are you what talking about? What is the youngest about? age do you think it's acceptable in Islam to marry a bride? In Islam, you can marry... Um, like you can consummate the marriage when the at puberty. Okay, so I would be probably against that in a lot of countries. So like an eleven yeah, or twelve. On year the old basis girl, of what? Liberalism or this is just sure. Destined. We'll call it liberalism. Sure. It is liberalism. We'll call if, if you'd like to call like I think you're selling short your own religion by saying that respecting some basic fundamental human values or or right to autonomy or right to be free of oppression or rape or whatever. If you want to call that liberalism, then I guess sure. But. No, it's like what's, what's wrong with so this is something that is in Islam. But you, we have to make a moral argument for why this should be prohibited from a liberal basis. In history, every society has practiced this kind of what liberals der derogatorily call child marriage. Christians have practiced it. Jews have practiced it. It's in the Talmud. Yeah, and Christians and Jewish people generally no longer do practice it. Well, it depends on where you're talking about because some places they do practice it where what they do you haven't think been is, affected which, by liberalism. Which type of place is more likely to support it? If I were to pick random Christian, Jewish, or Muslim-majority countries around the world, where am I more likely to find child brides? I'm not trying to deny the practice okay, of Okay, because it sounded like you just were. No, no, no. I'm not trying to def deny it. I'm just talking to the universality of it. And you the say universality, the universal but appealing, the universality of a particular There's thing a reason make for it. it. Would you say that slavery should exist as it did, under, as it flourished under Muslim-majority societies for so long? Do you think that we should bring that back as well? Slavery as a practice has a rational basis, has a moral basis okay. in its practice. I have videos on my channel on mm -hmm. all of these, like... See, this is exactly what I was talking about in the introduction, that all that the liberal mind can think of is these examples and, uh, and associating them with Islam. I have explained all of these things on my channel on YouTube. You can watch them. Yeah, so the problem, here's what you keep doing There's in these a, arguments. Why do you right? think, why the, do you the, think? Pro the problem is that I'm giving you a liberal, we wanted to debate liberalism versus Islam. And then when I point out, no. well, don't you think that like child slavery, sex marriages, or like the uh, slave trade around the world, don't you think these are bad? All you're saying is that, well, an example, so there, are other religious, there are other religious entities that did this. I'm not going to defend those either. No, no. So I'm not going to defend historically when Jewish are, oh, sorry. Isn't this more entertaining? It's, it's entertaining to be sure, but I, I do just one last question and then we're gonna have to No, I have to, I have I have to, to respond, respond to what Destiny just said. Slavery is, is bad, just, just like, like killing people is bad, bad but, but sometimes it's required. Okay, go ahead. Ready for your <laughs>
<laughs> right, that's exactly what I'm about to talk to right now. All right, um, but my question is actually for the women in, in Islam. Um, in the past decade, we've seen an insurgence of them just leaving Islam. Um, really? Where are the stats on that? Uh, you can Google. Oh, Google. Okay. Is there uh, something wrong with Google? Google. <laughs> oh, I'm saying, but there, there, you know, there is. I mean, you see, you see no, the. I don't consider that. Okay, I, fine. But the problem is, is. In Islam, women are leaving Islam, and the reason why they're leaving, and once they do leave, uh, they basically are, are shunned by their family. Um, even um, the men, uh, they, they basically they talk about death threats. And the same as if an apostate uh, <laughs> leaves Islam, you, got, you guys talk about killing that person. Um, why do you think women are actually leaving? Because they are. Why do you think they're they're leaving Islam the way that they are leaving Islam? Because they're getting divorced and they just they're tired of being in these marriages where you in Islam you hold them under your thumb. They can't talk. They can't think for themselves. They can't talk. Can't dress what they want. You know, wear what they want to wear. And why do you think they're actually leaving? The domination of women in Islam, or and actually the the. Usually the converts to Islam, there is more women who convert to Islam uh, than men actually. And they convert to Islam because they see that Islam provides dignity to women, that women aren't just a piece of meat to be trotted out uh, for men to ogle at and consume. Uh, they see, can you stop interrupting me please? Um, this is why you see more women actually converting to Islam than men in Western countries. Now, are there Muslim men and women who are leaving Islam? Uh, yes, because of exactly what I mentioned, because of secularization and liberalization. The societies become more secularized and value more freedom and equality as values. They tend to also devalue religion. So there are Muslims leaving, but other religions are outpacing Islam. More Christians are leaving Christianity than Muslims are leaving Islam. Check Pew. I know, I know you like to check Google, but check Pew, an actual official source. More Christians are leaving Christianity than Muslims are leaving Islam in the modern world. I'm really sorry it's just gone so late. But do want to say thank you very much, folks. We do have to wrap up, but want to say thanks so much. We we're excited. We are going to have in the VIP room next door for VIPs, there will be an after party. And then we look forward to hopefully seeing you tomorrow as well. If you are not able to make it tomorrow, we will be live streaming tomorrow as well. Many of the debates. So thanks so much. And thanks especially to our guests, Destiny and Daniel.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.